0: Blob Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Southern Sports Central, your source for all things sports, with your host, Richie Altman,
2: Richie Altman,
1: and Eugene Benton taking your calls at 323-784-9681. Now, let's join Richie in the studio.
3: Welcome everybody and good morning on this beautiful sunny day here in South Carolina. College Game Day. I had to bring you in with the theme because we're weeks away from the great part of what makes the fall the best part of the season of all, and that is College Game Day, college football. It will be a very heavy dosage of college football today. If I'm Richie Alban, you're listening to Southern Sports Central here on this beautiful Saturday, the first Saturday, if you will, of August. We welcome you in uh, to Football 101. If you got any questions, you can give us a shout. You want to talk college football? You got high school on the brain. We got a little bit that we can cover, but it's just not as much. And there's a whole hell of a lot of college football this morning. You can join us for the next three hours by calling in at 515-602-9675. And boy, the last 24 hours, it's almost been like watching Star Wars. And, and seeing these guys called the Big Ten doing big things and destroying the Pac-12 and what was left of the Pac-12, boy, the Big the, the Big Twelve decided to get in there and get after it as well because they added to the conversation last night before we all put our eyes on uh, our eyes closed and our head on the pillows. And tonight, today, we will have in here a great group of guys, a, a wonderful red carpet of guests coming through here as uh, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better than, of course, Kevin Noon. He writes and covers for the Big Ten in many different levels and many different ways. He actually was the guy about three days ago that said, hey, look, we will see Washington and we will see Oregon. A lot of people kind of shrugged their shoulders a little bit. He did mention a couple of ACC schools that were going to be part of that conversation. Haven't seen the ACC oh just yet, but don't worry. I think they want to handle business on the West Coast, and then you'll start seeing these guys head over to the East Coast maybe. We'll find out. But it was a big day yesterday for the Big Ten, and you saw all the excitement on social media as it started to kind of unfold as you guys started to start your Friday morning, and all the questions, did the the Pac-12 have enough to do enough and could be enough to salvage anything? Over there, and of course, uh the Chancellors and the presidents and everybody who knew somebody well, it just wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough because when it was all said and done, Oregon and Washington will join u c l a and Southern California in the big Ten and that's a big deal that is a great conference, and it's getting stronger uh by numbers uh by numbers of course and uh, of course, like we mentioned last night before we could call it a night. There were other conversations that were happening. Of course, uh, we already know in the Big 12, Colorado has found their way back home. But they're joined by a couple of their guys that they know a little bit with Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State. All three. As of 2024, we'll see them in the Big 12. That's not a good thing for the Western side of the country because, again, a lot of us like to watch college football at three and because we just can't get enough of the great sport. And that's not going to be the case as much. Who's going to be left standing? I mean, you've got four teams basically sitting over there just kind of hanging out. And now the Big 12 seems to be a little bit bigger. Now, they did lose. You'd be remiss not to think about the loss of Oklahoma and Texas as they headed to the SEC. So ultimately the SEC was the first one to kind of shake this tree a little bit uh, in the recent shaking of the tree by bringing in Oklahoma, by bringing in Texas. And then you sit around and the big 10 says, well, hold our beer. Let's see what we can do. Then the big 12 says it. So we know we've got at least two, I would say strong, really defined conferences with the SEC and the Big Ten. And then you've got the Big 12 still trying to maneuver some things and move some things to make sure they're not left behind in this conversation of college football. Because here's the thing. It looks like you're going to have two power conferences and a few conferences around. However, the Big 12 trying to do what they can to make sure that there's still a conversation to be had inside The world of college football and inside this entire situation, if you will, of the college football playoff, which a couple of presidents yesterday decided, well, with all this shaking and baking going on around college football, there needs to be another look at who and how and why and and what we're going to do. And do they have it right? And do they need to imply you know, certain rules and certain things uh, with the change of things. Now, this was broken, by the way, a story put out uh, yesterday we saw. And it has two commissioners call for a new college football playoff to be reexamined after the conference realignment. Nick Schultz, one of the guys that broke this one out with college football, going to, of course, be uh, dramatically different. Uh, It's going to look a lot different, definitely, in 2024 with the Big Ten. There will be 18 teams, the Big 12 will have 16 teams. The Pac-12, well, we don't know what they're going to have left. Of course, the SEC locked and loaded. How is this going to work with automatic bids and at-large bids? Who's going to be left out? Who's going to be hanging in? And I've seen a lot of people say this. The four conferences that are left, the ACC, the SEC, the Big 10, and the Big 12, they all going to get two automatic t- bids, first place and second place, and then the other four, because it's an 18 playoff. the other four you're going to get at large bids. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like that. I want the best of the best. I don't want just because you finished in your conference and you you, you finish second, you you get in. I want the best of the best. I almost like the top eight in the in the country. Whoever finishes in the top eight, you're automatically in. Because if you're going to win your conference, you're going to be in the top eight. So you automatically, by default, will be in that conversation. I do agree that if you're not winning your conference, you definitely shouldn't be in the playoffs. But you'll be there. You won one of those four conferences. Does the Pac-12 have enough to salvage to even be in this conversation? I don't know. Should be an interesting show today because Kevin Noon, like I said, joins us at ten fifteen here in just moments. He's going to come at us and talk to us about this Big Ten. He broke out the story that it was going to be Oregon and Washington, which we went in one-on-one, or I went in one-on-one on on Twitter with him, and he always replies and entertains my conversations. He'll join me at ten fifteen. at 11 o'clock, Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up Show. He hangs out with me. me. Excuse me, Lawton Swan. Check that. Lawton Swan joins me at 11 o'clock. He'll hang out with me and talk Clemson sports, which is going to be exciting because the ACC, by the way, there has been rumors. There has been conversations, and there has been some facts that Florida State, guaranteed, wants out of the ACC. What's it going to cost them? That's the ticket. What's it going to cost them to break their lease with the ACC? Clemson has also been part of that conversation, quietly hanging out, seeing how it's going to work, seeing how it's going to work for the Seminoles of Florida State. Lawton's on, of course, with Clemson Sports, going to hang out with us at 11 o'clock. He'll talk to us about what's going on in Clemson football. They did start practice, by the way. They had media days uh, a couple weeks back. And then we'll also look around the ACC. What does it look like this year for the ACC? Now, North Carolina opens up with South Carolina College Game Day going to be in North Carolina on that Saturday. to kick off the spirit of college football and a battle between the Carolinas. But he'll talk to us about That quarterback from North Carolina, by the way, could have easily gone into the draft and been picked up. Came back, wants to win a national championship, wants to win an ACC championship, and wants to finish some business. And maybe he feels like he's not done yet. We're not done yet. But he's going to talk to us, Lawton will, about the ACC and the mindset and then the conference realignment from an ACC point of view. Does he think there's enough for the Tigers in Death Valley to stay inside the confines? Because I said this all along. I still believe, and I don't care what anybody says. Talk to me about TV markets, and I get it. Eugene and I go back and forth on this on a regular basis. The SEC does not, in any way, state, form, or fashion, want to see the Big Ten have a football team in their footprint, period, being in their states. Now, Kevin Noon, back to him, he said North Carolina and Georgia Tech would be the two teams out of the ACC. The Clemson and Florida State would join the SEC, which I still believe that would be. I've got a 2016 map that looks pretty damn good if the SEC would take a look at it, and it entails all the teams still maintain their conference in-state rivalries. Yes, that brings North Carolina, Virginia. That brings Clemson and the states of North Carolina, Virginia, both teams. Virginia Tech, Virginia, North Carolina, North Carolina State, and Duke. That gives me Georgia Tech, and it gives me Georgia. Playing one another, Clemson, South Carolina, Florida, Miami, Florida State. I go back over to Kentucky, give me Louisville. I go to Oklahoma, give me Oklahoma State. 26 teams. The rest of those teams can figure it out. Because I did see a module that welcomed in some of the more of those guys out there at the pack so that the Big Ten could have about 26 teams as well. So are we looking at it that module. It's going to be an interesting conversation from Lawton because I want to hear from his point. If this guy does an amazing job. If you haven't heard Clemson Sports, that podcast, that, that show is an amazing show. Lawton does a great job. He's been doing it a long time as well. A uh, lot of lot, lot of love for that guy. And then at noon, high noon, we're going to get in here with Chris Phillips. He is with the Spurs Up show. We'll talk about the Gamecocks. They had their media day the other day. I remember it used to be on Sunday, changing up a little bit. It was on a Thursday. A lot of conversations are had. They picked up a big-time five-star uh, during the week from that uh, Maryland, D.C. area, which they have done extremely well in for many years. But we'll talk to Chris about the Gamecocks. We're going to talk about the SEC, the mindset of the SEC in realignment. Of course, they have added already Oklahoma the Texas. They've already got two big boys into the conversation. But what does it mean for them? And then, of course, Chris will also dabble into his thoughts around it as well. So we got to go to break. We're going to reset. I believe Kevin Noon has jumped in here. He's on the mic, so we're going to get him ready to go. But it is time, ladies and gentlemen, to get this train moving in the right direction. We'll get it moving right after this. And don't go anywhere because coming up next, we do head to the man himself, Kevin Noon, right after this break, guys.
1: Now, for the utmost reports on sports of all sorts, let's join Richie Altman and Eugene Benton on Southern Sports Central.
3: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Yobbett here on Southern Sports Central. Glad to be back on the air on this beautiful Saturday morning. It is now time to head to the hotlines, and we do it in fashion, bringing them back. And you know the season is right around the corner when we bring in the one and only Kevin Noon from BuckeyeHuddle.com. Kevin, top of the morning, brother. Glad to have you back. And, boy, man, I don't think you've slept in the last three or four days at least, right?
4: It's It's been a lot going on here with the start of Ohio State's fall camp and then obviously with uh, the whole situation with conference expansion. It's uh, It's been a busy couple few days, and uh, I'm actually sitting in the parking lot at the Ohio State Athletic Facility getting ready to go into interviews to go talk to the running backs and then maybe get to take a nap after all of that. <laughs>
3: Well, brother, it's always good to get you in here and get you with us. You've been a big-time supporter of my dream and doing the things that we do here on the show and always willing to catch up. But uh, let's talk Buckeyes first, then we'll get to the Big Ten conversation. Uh, The Buckeyes, man, they're poised for a big season, right? The Big Ten doing Mm -hmm. big things, but I believe it starts right there with the Buckeyes. Uh, Got a lot of guys coming back, got a lot of things happening. This could be that magical season, uh, what is the outlook for you guys? I know it's always the win a national championship or bust, but it seems like you guys have all the pieces and parts in the right places. Uh, give us an outlook and a conversation piece uh, as you guys look in kicking off this 2023 season.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Ohio State certainly does have a lot of returning pieces, but I think the first thing that people are going to focus on is what Ohio State is not returning, and that's a quarterback. C.J. Stroud is off to the Houston Texans. Two-year starter with the Buckeyes. Now it's an open battle between Kyle McCord and uh, Devin Brown for the quarterback role. Uh, you know, I think that Kyle McCord probably has a little bit of an edge being a year older, having a, a career start in the on the college level, whereas Devin Brown doesn't have that. I think the other position where people are going to show concern is going to be the offensive line with uh, two new tackles and a new offensive center being broken in this year, those battles are still kind of up in the air. So that's maybe where Ohio State is looking to fill things, but let's remember that Ohio State has Marvin Harrison, Jr., quite possibly the most talented player in college football. I'm sure there's a great debate. Everybody's got their own opinion on there. For my money, I think it's it's uh, Harrison, Jr. He's also in a receiver room with Emeka Egbuka, who is probably a top 10, top 15 national-type player, Ohio State brings back five running backs this year, but let's not forget toward the end of the year, Ohio State was was very, very unhealthy in that room, so they might need all of them, to be quite honest. Uh, Looking on the defensive side of the ball, Ohio State has a really solid defensive line, but hasn't necessarily been able to get home against teams in terms of affecting sacks. Ohio State's strong at linebacker, and I think the big question on defense is just how the secondary is going to come around, and is Ohio State going to be a little bit more Cautious in the defense it calls because when you when you look at some of the points that Ohio State looked uh, vulnerable last year, it was when they got very risky and ran a lot of Cover Zero.
3: Hanging out talking it up with the one and only Kevin Noon, of course, with Huddle dot com. Uh, Kevin, when we look now around, who would be the team that, that, that the Buckeyes realize that they are going to have to make sure they keep an eye on inside? Is it Michigan? I know Harbaugh kind of made some headlines, but not surprised in the off season. Uh, that he makes headlines, but around the uh, I guess in around the Big Ten, who other other than the, the Ohio State Buckeyes seem to make a little noise coming into this year?
4: Right, and you're right. It is going to be Michigan. Michigan has gotten Ohio State the last two years. Uh, it certainly has made some of the casual fans wonder what Ryan Day's future is because it's been a long time since Ohio State has been on a losing streak to the team up north, so that's a concern, but I think if you expand it beyond Michigan, Penn State is a team that has a lot of uh, potential this year, brand-new quarterback with Drew Allar, a couple of talented running backs with Nick Singleton and Kayton Allen, and a defense that's going to be led by Abdul Carter, a fantastic linebacker. I think if you go to the other side of the conference here in the last year of divisions in the Big Ten, people are really interested in what Wisconsin is going to look like. Former Cincinnati coach Luke Fickle, who also, by the way, happened to – be an assistant coach at Ohio State, was a one-year interim coach at Ohio State, and played for multiple years with the Buckeyes. Takes over a Wisconsin program that was really in the dumper last year. Uh, let go of Paul Chris midway through the season. Had Jim Leonard in as its uh, interim coach, but decided to go out outside the family to go and get uh, its new head coach. It's going to be a complete rebuild. Uh, rebuild there is it going to be something that's going to be quick or is it going to take a couple of years but i think the whole big 10 west in itself is going to be a real challenge because i outside of northwestern who is probably not going to win a league game i think everybody else in the big 10 west is capable of beating anybody else in the big 10 west on any given saturday so uh a lot to watch there
3: lots to watch for sure now we look around the country and boy let's get into it conference realignment is there and uh, you add UCLA, you add Southern Cal, you broke it just a few days ago and said, Rich, I'm going to be honest with you, I think, I think it's Oregon, I think it's Washington. You mentioned two other teams. We'll get to those two in just a minute, but let's stick with what you got. You got four teams out of the pack, and it looks to be the strong getting stronger in the Big Ten, and what a great addition. Uh, give us the breakdown. How did this conversation between these two teams, and are there more teams out of the West that you can see filter their way towards the Big Ten?
4: Yeah, the Big Ten is in very rare air right now with 18 teams, the biggest conference in college football at this point, with a couple others sitting at 16. Oregon and Washington were teams that were explored at the time that USC and UCLA were going through the process for the Big Ten. And ultimately it comes down to money. And was was Oregon and Washington going to be able to bring enough money to warrant another slice of the pie going to each of them. And at the time, it was decided, no, outgoing Commissioner Kevin Warren was kind of pushing for that, for them to come in. But the Big Ten presidents and chancellors were like, no, thanks, we're good. So it was just USC and UCLA. But all of the due diligence had been done at that point. So it was not a a situation of having to do some sort of rush job when everything became available. But the Big Ten came out and said that it didn't want to be the conference to kill the Pac-12 but once uh, once Arizona looked like it was moving to the Big 12 and the league was getting destabilized even further after the departures of SC and UCLA and Colorado uh, it just was time at that point but I don't know if the I don't know if the Big 10 goes back out west I mean there is some value I think in Stanford I mean that would be part of the prize of trying to bring Notre Dame over are you going to be able to separate Stanford and Cal I don't know. We're talking about two programs right now that are are putrid in football but are pretty good in the Olympic sports, the non-revenue sports, but there's certainly not going to be enough money there to bring them in at any sort of full share like USC and UCLA got, whereas Oregon and Washington are coming in on partial shares, somewhere in the $30 million range. But I think that that the numbers are a little misleading. Uh, Somebody from Oregon, their president, came out and said, that their total compensation would be around 50. So you wonder if there's going to be some sort of travel stipend in there or what what's going on. But at this point, I think the Big Ten is looking toward the southeast, and I'll, I'll leave it at that as I know that's where this conversation is going.
3: Yes, it is indeed. And so, you know, there's a guy, and you're pretty familiar with this name as well, uh, Mr. Zach Barnett. He put out a tweet a while back, and, and maybe it's a wish list for this guy. I don't know. But he basically has the Big Ten looking at the Big Ten, East, Central, West. So three different divisions. And in the West, he kind of keeps those guys over there. He likes the Washington, of course, the Oregon, the Southern Cal and UCLA. But he also looked at Stanford, looked at Cal, looked at Oregon State and Washington State to add into that conversation. Could you see that kind of almost an NFL module there, having an East, a Central, and a West, or maybe the MLB version of it as well, uh, having that to kind of keep kids from the travel thing. Because we look at football, Kevin, and, for, you know, it's a weekend trip, not a big deal. But when you start talking to other sports, be it baseball and softball and some other sports that are under that umbrella, man, this is going to be quite a hike. And you've seen it already with West Virginia going to the Big 12 and some other conferences traveling across the country. Where does that conversation happen, or is it really honestly, let's just be honest, is it
4: money? Is it all money and TV revenue? Well, everything is money. I mean, if we're being quite honest, this whole thing is about money more than anything else. And, you know, for me to say otherwise would be completely dishonest. So I'm not going to try and, and make it sound like it's anything more noble because it's not. It's money. Uh, You talk about the travel concerns, and I think what we're going to see with the the proliferation of online classes, I think you're going to see a lot of these other sports just, like, go on a week-long trip and not go back to their campus for that week, and that's going to be the week that they're going to play at Rutgers on Tuesday and at at Maryland on Thursday and at Penn State on Saturday or whatever, and you're going to have some of those trips put in there. As for how – we're going to see teams kind of spread out. I think it depends on the number of what they get to. I think 24 is kind of your top-end number, and at that point you could theoretically have a pod system where you have have four pods of six teams. So, you know, what? we'll see at that point. I mean, there's certainly been people who are like, well, maybe you need to bring back divisions just – Only moments after the Big Ten said we're getting rid of divisions. But just to kind of finish what you were saying from Zach Barnett, I don't see a scenario where Oregon State and Washington State go into the Big Ten because there's just no money without them bringing in another television partner or having a current television partner doubling down on their investment. Because, again, it's about money, and there's just no real real drive, especially for – for Oregon State and Wazoo, who are likely going to end up in the Mountain West.
3: Now, we look at the teams that they're adding as we look around. Do we see, and once things kind of shake out here, do we see anybody getting the pink slip out of a conference? I mean, I know South Carolina's got Missouri, and I've always joked around and said, look, they can sacrifice Missouri, even though it's a great TV market. Again, back to the money conversation. They could sacrifice Missouri, bring in an Oklahoma State and a few other teams to make themselves – a little bit bigger, 26. I actually have a, a graph of my own at 26 that has a ton of teams in the Southeast. Staying in that kind of, I would say, geographic, Kevin, do you see anybody here being kicked out of a conference? Or do you think this is just an addition and zero subtraction here?
0: No, I
4: don't see anybody getting kicked out. I mean, we're dealing with programs that have been in this conference for 100 plus years. And I understand that the Pac-12 was formed in like 1915 or something. And we've watched a conference that's been around for 108 years essentially evaporate overnight. But I don't, you know, that's just not the way that things are going to operate. There's no relegation. There's none of that going on. Certainly there are programs that are not carrying their weight in football. But it, it's more than that. Conference expansion is about so much more. In terms of other athletics and, and academic pursuits and things of that nature, it's really easy to just do an inventory of what's going on on the, on the football field and saying, well, this team stinks and that team stinks and, and, and we need to make changes, but that's just really not how this operates. So I, I, don't, I don't see that being part of the equation.
3: Hanging out with, of course, uh, the man with the plan and covering it all up on the Big Ten Forces, the one and only Kevin Noon, writer, podcaster, and does it all over there with not only here, Southern Sports Central, but does a fine-time job with the BuckeyeHuddle.com as uh, we are covering here today. Breaking news all day yesterday. And, Kevin, I kind of called it the earthquake and everything else after this is kind of the aftershocks here. Are we done with the aftershocks or... Or what do we think the Big 12 is going to do? Because they still have a handful of numbers that they need to add. And, of course, let's look at the SEC. Does the SEC go after anybody to kind of salvage and kind of keep the Big 10 out of their footprint in states, be it Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, because you did mention uh, Georgia Tech and you mentioned North Carolina. Uh, kind of give us a, a round robin of what you think there as far as who's the next addition and where this next wave or aftershock comes
5: from.
4: Yeah, that's you know that's the question right there because I was in Indianapolis just a few days prior and listened to the Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti come out and say we're not focused on expansion, we're focused on integrating USC and UCLA into the Big Ten, and then lo and behold, now the Big Ten is up to eighteen teams and. Everybody's wondering where things stand. I mean, we know that what the next move was because that's already happened. The Big 12 has welcomed the rest of the four corner schools of the Pac-12 with Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah into the into the Pac or into the Big 12. So the Big 12 is now at 16. The Pac-12 is now at four. You have to wonder what's happening in the ACC in terms of Florida State and its meeting with its board of trustees and them coming out and saying it's not a matter of of if we leave the ACC, it's a matter of when and how, and then they go out and they make news by, you know, with the story coming out saying that they're looking at private equity to be able to to create a war chest, if you will, in terms of having money on hand, which obviously would be for buying out of the ACC deal. And then there are message board rumors out there, people saying that eight ACC teams are, are, are set to leave the league and, and, you know, I always take message board rumors, you know, with a grain of salt. I work in the message board business in a, in a lot of regards, so I, I'm i not here to poo-poo what they say. And a lot of times they're right, but a lot yeah. of times they're wrong. So, you know, I, I don't know what happens, but I think the ACC is – the league that gets looked at if anybody can figure out how to break out of that grant of rights that goes through 2036 and it's really interesting on social media because there are some people who act like that grant of rights is god's law and there's no way out of it and there are other people who think that it's not worth the paper that it's printed on i mean obviously the truth is somewhere in the middle it's just a matter of where it is on that spectrum But i could certainly see a situation of where Florida State, if it feels that it is not being treated fairly by the ACC because of where the monies are coming from and that they signed a 20-year contract, stupidly in my opinion, no, never signed a 20-year contract uh, when you know everything is going to be going up just based on cost of living, you know, they're kind of stuck. But if if they can punch their way out, I think other teams are going to try and follow them out the door.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because you see the the conversation. Florida State by no means is held – any bit of their lip or their tongue or anything they basically said look we want out we're going to do what we have to do to get out now Clemson quietly kind of their dancing partner but letting lead the way and take the steps first as Florida State those are two teams that that seem to be ready to get out now they keep throwing back out of course Dabo's going to do what he did just the other day talking about hey it doesn't matter what conference we're in when we're on TV they're watching us they're putting up uh the ratings for the Tigers and so for me you mentioned North Carolina. You mentioned Georgia Tech being the two teams that could be coming out of the ACC heading towards the Big Ten. Kev, why, why those two schools? I mean, I know the TV market in Atlanta would be amazing for you guys to pick up in the Big Ten. North Carolina is a whole state. Of course, Charlotte's a nice mecca for you guys as well. What was the big, I guess, um, prediction of having those two schools join your conference out of the ACC?
4: because that's on the Big Ten wish list, and it's never really been a secret that those teams have been on the Big Ten wish list. You hit the nail right on the head with Georgia Tech. That gives you the Atlanta market. Atlanta is a huge transplant city, and there is a very large contingent of Ohio State alumni in in Atlanta. I've actually spoken at uh, a function for Ohio State alumni in in the Atlanta chapter, so I've seen it firsthand. And then North Carolina – is just, again, you get the Charlotte market, you get the Raleigh-Durham market. I mean, yes, you've got NC State and Duke as well, but you're you're still getting into those markets. Those are the teams that I've always felt that fit. I mean, and then there's a debate whether or not UVA is somebody who might fit. Uh, They certainly have the academic side that the Big Ten cherishes, but certainly don't have the athletic success that uh, everybody seems to be clamoring for, but I think the 900 pound gorilla in the room is what Notre Dame is going to do as Notre Dame mm. sort of plays ball with the ACC doesn't play doesn't play ACC football per se but plays multiple ACC games and then of course participates in other sports as a member of the ACC I think it's important for the for the Big 10 if they're going to continue this decades long pursuit of Notre Dame that they have to try and be very smart with who it is they pick and not fill up seats at the table because again there is going to be a cap of how big these conferences can be or you're just, you just end up being a group of teams or not necessarily a conference if you don't play anybody. But something else that I think is going to be a result of this, we heard this whole debate between the SEC and everybody else, eight league games or nine league games. I think that as these conferences get bigger, we're going to be looking at ten league games because that's what that's the inventory that these TV partners are going to want. They're not going to want to watch – Ohio State versus Bowling Green. They're going to want to watch Ohio State versus UCLA. They're going to want to watch Penn State versus Washington. They're not going to want to see you know, Penn State against Indiana University of Pennsylvania or anything like that. So there's just so much that's coming out of this. And I think every time you think you get your head around something, you just don't know. But I guess to bring it back home, the Big Ten is not certainly not going to get involved with any ACC team until they're available, but I think that the ACC kind of knows, or the Big Ten knows what, what teams it would like to pursue. And if Florida State and Clemson happen to be the teams out there, even though I don't see that as a marriage made in heaven, at some point it, it, it could happen, but that's just, I, I see both those teams, if the ACC goes away, I see those teams being much better fits in the SEC. Yeah, we agree with you. We're hanging out here, wrapping up with the one and only Kevin Noon. Of course, big time
3: over there with the Big Ten. He covers it all with BuckeyeHuddle.com and covering one-on-one with the Buckeyes, a very big contender for national championships. You know, you nailed something else for me uh, as I have my little checklist here for you, Kevin, because you're one of the best to talk about it. So I always want to get your thoughts and opinions. But what you mentioned us going away and the SEC talked about this for many years about stop playing non-conference games of course you'd still stick with the Clemson South Carolinas and the non-conference really big games Georgia Tech and Georgia but not playing some of those smaller schools which however it may not be entertaining for everyone but is a big payout for the little brothers within the states that they play as you see South Carolina plays the Citadel Clemson will play Charleston Southern I'm sure the Buckeyes have their list of smaller schools because what it does is bring in a revenue for upgrade facilities. Now, this now being the conversation, Kevin, you're going to see a lot of this go away, which is also going to affect a major paycheck and an upgrade in facilities around the area as well. What's your thoughts on that when it comes down to us now probably getting away from these non-conference bigger games because you don't even have to leave your yard uh, to entertain those who want to see a good football game?
4: Right, and sometimes that's the cost of progress—is that you're going to you're going to lose something that has either tradition or some sort of an inherent financial value, and it is going to be a big loss for a Charleston Southern or, or or a you know Kent State or or somebody like that if if that happens. And you know, I don't know how you necessarily subsidize that because you know we don't want to get to a point of where you're putting a salary cap or things like that or a luxury tax and and, and redistributing wealth because, you know, not to get political, but I, I think there are a lot of people who are not a big fan of redistributing wealth like that. So uh, it's just part, of, uh, just part of the game of, of where things are going to be now, and that's why I said 10 league games versus 12 league games, but I could I could certainly make an argument for 12 league games and just play six up, six down within your conference and, and and go on from there because those are the games that everybody wants to see, but I'm not here to sit there and get rid of Clemson, South Carolina, or Georgia, Georgia Tech. I mean, that Georgia, Georgia Tech game bores me to tears, but uh, I think that those games are important for just, uh, just for, you know, a lot of values and everything else. Now let's look at real quick the SEC. Now the
3: SEC did add in – Two teams prior to this big earthquake that the Big Ten started shaking everything down a couple of days ago, or maybe even before that, when they did bring in Southern Cal and UCLA. But they do have, of course, Texas, and they do have Oklahoma. If you're the commissioner of the SEC, it's almost like this greatest game of chess between all these presidents of all these conferences. And some chess players, their chests are a little bit bigger. The ACC, not as big. Of course, the SEC, now the Big Ten is right there and the Big 12, trying to hang on by bringing in three schools Uh, late last night confirming that conversation, but if you're the guy, you're the commissioner of the SEC, what is your next move? Do you worry about it? Do you move when somebody else moves, or you feel pretty good on what you're getting ready to get into here in 24, bringing in the state of Texas with having both schools, and then Oklahoma comes in part of that conversation as well?
4: The SEC is the SEC, and I don't think that the SEC has to, act super reactionary but i think they have to act wisely and the thing is is that you don't want to be left with few pieces on the board that kind of hurts your 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 future moves and i think in a lot of ways the best thing for the sec is the fact that the acc grant of rights is until 2036 and maybe that will slow people down and It's not like, you know, Florida State seems to believe that it's figured a way out of the deal, but it has not passed any sort of legal muster. We've not seen it or anything else, so I don't think that the SEC has to react quickly. I think that they certainly probably have their wish list put together as well, but I go back to Texas and Oklahoma, who I think a lot of Big Ten people felt that Texas and Oklahoma would have been a good fit in the Big Ten. I mean, I've heard those names floated around for a decade-plus, and... to Greg Sankey's, you know, benefit and to his credit, he was able to to act in the shadows and put all that together right under the Big Ten's nose and the Big Ten really was none the wiser that it was going on. So I don't think the SEC is going to get left behind or is going to get outmaneuvered by anybody else. But I also think that just, you know, acting reactionary is very uncharacteristic for the SEC and um that they're going to they're going to be calculated and measured with their moves, but when they are making moves, we're probably not going to hear about it as much in 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 the public forum unless FSU is involved, and FSU just can't keep its mouth shut.
3: No doubt about that. Social media has definitely become all of our friends as we keep up to date with about everybody uh, by hitting that button as well as they do. As we're wrapping it up here with Kevin Noon, covers it all over there. The Big Ten, they specializes of course, with the Buckeyes of the Ohio State. And, of course, does it all with BuckeyeHuddle.com. Glad to have you over there uh, doing what you do. Now, the final thing, the only thing that's left to talk about is traditions. Man, I tell you, college football has been such a great sport, and it all begins and ends with tradition for me, right? What would you do without the Michigan and the Buckeyes or the Auburns and the Alabamas? And for here in the great state of South Carolina, the Clemson Tigers and the Gamecocks of South Carolina, do you see anything when it comes down to it anymore now that texas and texas a&m are back together again and in a uh, hackfield and mccoy here deal uh traditions are the are you worried about some of these traditions going away or are we just on a phase of starting a new tradition man and things are just value to change as we go
1: forward
4: yeah we've certainly seen big games go away some have come back some you know we 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 don't see nebraska colorado anymore with nebraska in the big 10 and colorado in the big 12 uh we're going to see potentially an impact on the on the civil war oregon oregon state and the apple cup uh washington washington state i mean all of that is is at risk i mean you know if we're if we're really looking at it but again it's it, sometimes things have to go for you know the sake of 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 progress and a lot of horses had to be put out of out of service when America moved to cars and, you know, went out to like you know, to the ranches and everything else. So sometimes you're just going to have to you know, just you're just gonna have to deal with it and, and go on. I mean the good news is that I don't think we're going to see Ohio State and Michigan go away. We're not gonna see Auburn, Alabama go away, things like that. Army, Navy, but yeah, some of these other games are going to disappear. I mean even even in the Big Ten it was. It's not a trophy game, and the Big Ten has a bajillion trophy games. But Ohio State and Penn State were ruled not to be rivals, and and under the new scheduling, we're not going to play yearly. And Ohio State and Penn State have played yearly since the nineties. So I mean, that's mm. a long time. I've made a lot of trips out to Happy Valley, but again, it's just it is it is what it is. And I think people are going to be seeing a very different sport here in a couple years than what they saw just even 10 years ago, where if you get these super conferences, it's going to be much more of an NFL model. 10-2 and 2 is going to be a holy cow, that was a great year. We're not going to see 12-0s and 0's anymore because you're not going to have as many layups on your schedule. You're not going to have three or four non-conference games where most of them are going to be just bye games, which are glorified scrimmages. Uh, you're going to have a very difficult schedule as, as the Big Ten ads, USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington, and maybe you don't get away with playing Indiana and Northwestern and, and Rutgers. I mean, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be a very different experience.
3: The last thing and the only thing that I've got circled here on my list with you, Kevin, because I know you got to get to practice over there with the Buckeyes or getting ready to hit the field here moments, is the NIL, the transfer portal. Boy, it's changed the game in many ways. It has definitely kept us up at night, and it's kept us busy during the offseason. There is no such thing as an offseason, right? But you look at the NIL, you're seeing starters, starters on programs. The University of South Carolina had a starting running back transfer to that Southern Cal team that's coming your way, by the way. Uh, in 2024 now that being said uh, What do you think what do you like about The NIL deal and then this transfer portal Thing man it's kind of a, a weird thing for Coaches because not only now do they recruit Kids in high school they got to recruit the kids On their own roster not to leave the program Like, just kind of give us a quick facts and Figures on your thoughts on the NIL and The transfer portal here a few years Into it now
4: Yeah I don't really have my Arms completely wrapped around All the ins and outs of 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 NIL, by by my own admission, I think that I'm in favor of player compensation, but I'm not in favor of tampering. I'm not in favor of paying a player during his recruitment as an inducement. That is not the that is not in the spirit or the nature of what NIL is supposed to be. Because at that point, are you you're not really creating money for the school at that point. I mean, I guess in terms of notoriety for recruiting and everything, but you've not done anything for the school as a signed athlete. So that kind of that kind of bothers me, but I'm not one of these people who believes that just a, a scholarship and a roof over your head for a couple of years and you know, all of that is necessarily enough compensation for these players who make so much money for their universities. As for the transfer portal, again, We're seeing, you know, we're seeing so much movement, so much craziness. And I think my biggest issue with the with the transfer portal is so many kids go into the portal never to emerge again, and these are kids that were going to, before the portal really took off, were going to get a four-year education somewhere and probably, you know, better themselves for what their life is going to be. And now they're getting bad advice from a third uncle or somebody who says, you could be so much more somewhere else. Well, the problem is there's not anywhere else to go for them. And that's an issue. And to compound that, I think it also hurts a lot of lower level kids who are being recruited out of high school because schools are holding back scholarships now to use for portal athletes. And I think that is hurting opportunity for these kids that maybe would have gone low division one FBS who may slide to FCS and FCS kids who might have to slide to D2 or D3 or NAIA. So... You know, with everything that seems to be in the name of progress, there's always going to be some residual. And, and I don't think we've necessarily figured out the best way to work either of these. But the thing that really bothers me most about the portal are just the kids who go in on bad advice never to emerge and, and do not get to continue their education.
3: Well, man, as always, you bring it and you bring it in style here. Great points, great facts, great figures here. We are wrapping it up with Kevin Noon. He is, of course, with BuckeyeHuddle.com, getting ready to walk in to watch those Buckeyes practice here. Kev, man, give us a rundown, man. Tell us a little bit more about the BuckeyeHuddle.com. I know we've been with you now, we've hung out with you here on Thunder Sports Central for many years. I think we're about six or seven years into hanging out together, man. We appreciate the love. But uh, what's happening over there at BuckeyeHuddle.com? And, Give us a rundown on uh, what's up with you here in the next couple of days and uh,
4: the weeks to come. Yeah, BuckeyeHuddle.com is your one-stop spot for all Ohio State news. We are an independent site. Uh, we are a collaboration of, of longtime industry veterans that came together and just decided we wanted to create our own site. So that's what we're doing, and we got a great community. We do a lot of podcasts as well at YouTube.com slash BuckeyeHuddle, and then coming up over the next few days, everything is, is focused on, on camp. And while a lot of recruiting decisions are coming in for Ohio State targets, uh, the focus is really going to be about camp. We're going to be on campus four days a week most weeks, and uh, we'll get the opportunity to watch practice, like actually watch it on the 11th, which will be the, the second one that we get to watch in full. So looking forward to all that. But uh, if you're an Ohio State fan or just curious about Ohio State, give us a, give us a follow over there at BuckeyeHuddle.com.
3: As always, buddy, we look forward to hang- hanging out with you this year. We always appreciate you stop dropping, rolling for us, and getting here with me, man. You're always first class to me, and if you need the knowledge, you want the knowledge, check out Kevin Noon. He's at Kevin Noon, and you can follow him over there on Twitter at Kevin underscore Noon. That's N-O-O-N. And of course, you can check out his podcast and much more just by clicking on his Twitter account over there, buddy. Hey, man, enjoy your Saturday. We'll be talking to you throughout the season. And uh, in advance, we say thank you so much for keeping us up to date on all the stuff, not only in the Big Ten, but around the world of college football, brother. Be good.
4: Absolutely. Thanks.
3: All right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Always a good time to get these guys in here. These guys that really put everything they got into their, I would say, their masterpiece, their coin, their whatever you want to call it, that makes them the great ones that they are at what they do. Now, Kevin Noon has been with – Many publications. I mean, I could sit here and go through a handful of uh, those he's written for, he's covered for, uh, but he's always been there far as here in Southern Sports Central. Kevin Noon, of course, coming out of uh, the state of Ohio. He's over there hanging out with the Buckeyes. He's literally in the parking lot uh, getting ready to walk in and says, Rich, I got a good hour for you, man. Let's do it early. I said, we'll start it with you. We'll end that hour with you in the first hour, and then we'll go from there. So here, there you go. The Big Ten still looking around, still kind of figuring out some things. They are right now currently the largest conference in college football. Now, prior to that, in my opinion, is that the Big Ten wasn't that far off from the SEC. Yeah, they do not have the national championships and a few things that the SEC does, but neither does any other conference. Neither did the Pac-12, formerly known as. Neither did the Big 12. Neither did the ACC, right? And you're starting to see these conferences. Remember there was a conference so many years ago, and this was the last time I feel like Miami was really honestly relevant or even Virginia Tech or some of those other teams that constantly were in headlines. There was a conference called the Big East. There was the Big East, and, of course, uh, the Grim Reaper took it out. Now, there is a there is a picture that had the Grim Reapers already gone through that door they're walking out of the door with the Pac-12, and he's heading towards the ACC. I don't know if I'd buy that because I think there's a lot to offer the ACC than the support that you see. Again, the Pac-12, a little bit more of a Hollywood conference. The ACC, more of a say it what you will, but a good old boy conference. It's down here in the south. It's in that corridor of the, of the southeast that we breathe, eat, and sleep. Two different sports with the same ball. Well, same sports, but one's on a Friday, one's on a Saturday, and we like what's on a Sunday, but we live for the Fridays. We get up early for the Saturdays, and if we can get out of church or whatever it is on the Sunday, we do have some of those fans as well. I get it. I get we have NFL fans here, but a lot of those guys, I'm telling you, you can't beat a Friday night light. It used to be the smell of the grass, but that's the thing in the past. Now it's just the hot dogs and the crowd and the atmosphere, and these young kids slapping helmets and beating pads and doing what they got to do to get to that college level, which, by the way, harder than it's ever been. Because now this transfer portal, like I mentioned, has made it an astronomically harder thing for these guys to do. It was always hard. And everybody wants to be a power five guy. And when I played in the league, when I played uh, in Columbia, there wasn't the power five, but, of course, they were the SEC, and they were the elite, especially in the baseball fields. But when you look at the big picture things, When you put everything together, everybody looks at the SEC, and now we'll look at the Big Ten, and they're going to raise an eyebrow at the Big 12. But what does it mean for this conference that we know as the Atlantic Coast Conference, who has done a great job years ago, by the way, absorbed basically the Big East, right? They absorbed the teams that were in the Big East and brought in the Pitts, the Boston College, the Syracuse, the Virginia Techs, and the Miamis. Basically similar to what you just saw with the Big Ten heading into the pack. And it's like watching a, a a a herd of coyotes going into this wounded animal known as the Pac-12. And, man, I tell you, the biggest bite came out of the Big Ten. And then a little bit left. The Big 12 decided that they would handle their conversation piece as well by picking up three schools over there. And are they done? Are they done? I don't know whether the SEC jumps into this conversation, but I do believe they have eyes and ears and people in places, analysts, quote, unquote, if you will, watching closely. Because, again, my biggest thing isn't, and I get into this conversation with multiple people. I get it. It is money. We're not slow. We're not We're not, not thinking that this isn't a money deal. They say it's about the kids. Is it? though? no. Has it ever been? Hmm right? I mean, all that money that goes into those college football stadiums that we're complaining about giving kids money, they're not there to watch the coaches run up and down the sidelines. They're not there to watch the grass grow. And they can give a damn whether the lights cut on and off. They want to see a good football game, which is 11 dudes on one side, 11 dudes on another side, and all them dudes on the sidelines waiting to come in and do this gladiator thing we call college football. So good for them for giving it back to the kids who are packing those stadiums out. Week in and week out, win, lose, or draw, because that's where it's at. But now it's a big-time three-headed monster chess match. You saw Big 10 do it. You saw Big 12 do it. But I still give the SEC credit. When they got Oklahoma and they got Texas, still today is a bigger move than what we've seen. Now, where does Notre Dame fill in? We can continue this conversation, because coming up next at the 11 o'clock hour, Lawton Swan. The man himself will come in here. He'll talk to the ACC with me. He'll have a conversation about what's going on with Clemson. They're quietly doing something, something. They got somebody talking to somebody at Florida State. And you heard Kevin. Listen, Florida State doesn't care. You remember who played at Florida State? Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders was one of the loudest dudes out there. He'd tell you I'm taking seven steps out, three steps, in, it's your job to stop me. But I'm coming, and you've got to stop me from getting to where I'm going. And, by the way, it ain't happening. Well, the same man said with, Clemson, with, with Florida State. But Clemson Sports' very own Lots Swan did spend his time at Media Day. Now They've got a lot to be excited about in Death Valley. I know I, I said this a while back, but this is a team that Davos thinks himself that this is probably the most focused team and uh, dedicated to the mission and uh, just doing everything that needs to be done you're going to lose a few guys along the way because not everybody's going to do what they call buying in. If you're not buying in, you're getting out. That's how it works. So coming up next, we will be joined by Lawton Swan from Clemson Sports. He'll join us at 11 o'clock. But before that, let's go to break. You're listening to Southern Sports Central right here on Blog Talk Radio. You can find us on Twitter at Central. You can find me on Twitter at Richie Altman. And we are on the book, the Facebook, if you will. Check us out at Southern Sports Central. Guys, we're coming back. This is, of course, Hour one in the books. Hour two next with the one and only from Clemson Sports, Lawton Swan. We'll be right back.
1: Sports Central, your source for all things sports, with your host, Richie Altman,
2: Richie Altman,
1: and Eugene Benton taking your calls at
0: 323-784-9681.
1: Now, let's join Richie in the studio.
3: Welcome back, everybody. I am Richie Albany here live on Southern Sports Center. Glad to be here with you on this beautiful Saturday morning, the first Saturday of August. I want to thank, of course, uh, well, a guy who just jumped off the radio with us here, and uh, Kevin Noon, one of the best to do it uh, for the Big Ten. Always good to have him in here with me to talk about the Big Ten, to talk about the Buckeyes of Ohio State. Does an incredible job and a lot to cover. This guy uh, showed up this morning, uh, showed up this morning, uh, to a facility ready to see the Buckeyes play, but he said, Rich, before I walk in, I'm going to give you a good hour, so let's do 10 o'clock. We'll cover Smother and do what we got to do to get everything down as much as we can into the Big Ten and all the conversations, because you guys know, man, the Big Ten has made a splash in a big way. I said it was the earthquake and everything since then, after then, and now, of course, heading into the Big 12 has been the aftershocks of uh, what's happened in college football, and he mentioned it, and it's kind of the conversation or the fly on the wall is with all this shaking and baking and moving around of of all these teams, we're talking about teams and conferences. What about the team that's not in a conference? Well, it is, but it isn't Notre Dame. Does that mean anything for Notre Dame? And again, yes, they do have their connection to the Tigers as we have our connection to the Tigers. And now without further ado, we are going to bring that man in, in style. Like that, ladies and gentlemen, the red carpet is rolled out, the microphone is turned on for the one and only Mr. Lawton Swan from his own show, Clemson Sports. He does a phenomenal job, been doing it for a long time, and he's been a big-time supporter of our show here on Southern Sports Central. Lawton, brother, all is good in the world when we get you back in here, man. Glad to have you back. What's up, Richie? How you been, man? Been good, man. Trying to get back up and run in here, but it doesn't take a whole lot when the Big Ten. Uh, dialed in cannonball style to the pool yesterday and started it actually when they got Southern Kyle, of course, in UCLA. But uh, let's talk some clips and football and some sports in the ACC first. And uh, first of all, man, how's the family, man? You guys doing good? Been taking some summer trips? Uh, Not too much. Um, You know, we got away for, I guess, a a week or two. But we did the beach in the mountains. You know how it goes. But, uh, yeah, man, Mm. I got a son going into high school. I can't believe that. And then, my daughter's starting middle school. So we are out of the elementary ages. Yeah, man. My, my youngest son, Mason, uh, he hit 13 on Monday. And I thought to myself, man, where'd the time go? Uh, and it does go by fast, of course, for guys like you. And, uh, I'm back in the swing of things here. Uh, time doesn't play on our side quite a bit when we do the radio biz that we did. And you, a couple of weeks ago, were rubbing elbows with a lot of big names, familiar faces, and a few more as you were at the ACC media days there in Charlotte, man, uh, your setup looked great, man. It looked like you had a good time and you were around uh, some of your closest buddies that do what we do. And, uh, man, talk to us a little bit about the ACC media days. Did it feel like it was a little different this year? Or was there any uh, anything different going into this year compared to the years that you've done it before? Well, I will say I think the fact that it was three days made it a lot nicer because not that we had more time with individuals, but we had more individuals during that time, if that makes sense. So, Like, in the two-day event, I might have had a chance to sit down with, if I was lucky, eight total players and coaches all together, right? And so, this year, I think once we did media members, players, all of that, I think I ended up, Rich, I'm not going to lie to you, man, I think I did like 32 interviews in three days. I mean, I I was slap worn out when we got home. You look yourself in the mirror, and I remembered when I was over at ESPN, I was working the morning show with Bobby. I had my show at noon, and then uh, – no, the afternoon show with Bobby, my show at noon, and then I came in early and did the morning show uh, with uh, Jamie Bradford. Uh, and that was a day that I will never forget, That I came home, and the guy that kind of likes to talk a little bit, I'm sure likes yourself here, um, I looked at myself in the mirror and said, dang, man, I think I'm kind of tired of talking <laughs> because you do so much, and there's just so many things that we have to cover. I mean, I was – talking to somebody this morning and she goes, I don't know if I could do three hours of radio. I said, man, look, when you love what you do and you do what you love, it never seems to be a day of work in your life. And you get to do this, man. I mean, I watched you still, uh, even when I wasn't rolling here on the show, took a little break, but you still continue to get better. You continue to get uh, the right guys around you uh, and the support you continue to have, man. Uh, tell us about some of that part of it when it comes down to what you guys do here at Clemson Sports and how you guys continue to just Get better year after year and, and, and grow. Man, you're growing in, in, in my markers, it seems like, every year. Yeah, it's, it's been wild. Like, you know, I a lot of times now, honestly, Richie, if I tell people that I kind of started dreaming up the show and, and the business model in 04, um, they're like, hold hmm. up, you started talking about a podcast in, in 04? I say, yeah, and we started August 1, 2005. So, you know, we're just over 18 years doing it. And I think the, the thing behind it was there was a guy named Leo Laporte. He's still around. Uh, he does a, a, a podcast about technology. And this was back when we had to plug in. And so, you know, uh, your, your younger audience would go, oh, man, you boomers had to plug in your stuff. But so we, <laughs> we had to plug in the, uh, the iPod. I guess it was on an iPod. And download. You had to sync it to your computer to get the podcast. And so this guy on this podcast I would listen to would say, look, if you've got a passion about something, you know, just do a show on it. You know, create a podcast. You can have your own show. Now, my dad had some history in radio, but nothing where it was, like, over the top. I mean, it was just one of those things he kind of did growing up to make a little extra money. So it wasn't, like, in my blood where I was like, oh, yeah, my dad's a DJ. I'm going to be a DJ. But um, nonetheless, you know, I grabbed that headset and just went rolling with it. And the thing about it is, even today, you know, I think the ability to expand your show and your audience is so much greater than it was 18 years ago because of how easy it is to access these things. Plus, you got YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, uh, all of that. So, you know, for people out there that are listening to you or seeing what you're doing and say, man, you know what, I'd love to do that, you can. It just takes a little Mm -hmm. bit of effort. Uh, the thing that happens though, a lot of times, and, and you're kind of a testament to this, not allowing this to happen in your show, is that people will do 10 episodes, and then they'll burn out, and they'll get tired of it. I mean, you got to be committed that this is going to be something you're going to do. You don't have to do it every day.
0: But if you're going to do a weekly
3: show on Sunday nights like I did when I started, then make sure that you've got a weekly show every Sunday night, so that people can tune in and be a part of it. Be consistent. That would be the one thing I would tell somebody new. You know, be consistent because that's where I started. Mm-hmm. Sunday nights, one hour. I did that for eight years. I didn't hardly make a dime doing it. And then I got the phone call from iHeart, and they were like, "Hey, let's roll with it." And Richie, the rest is history. I just had my tenth year on the air in at, at iHeart, and uh, I believe I have the longest uninterrupted show. Ironically. A Clemson show uh, in the Columbia market. So, but uh, there's a lot of Tigers in the Midlands that have never had a home before, and and I've been able to give them that. Right, and you have done that. Of course, we are live right now with the one and only Lock Swan Clemson Sports, smothering and covering uh, the Tigers across the airways from the internet to, of course, your dial there in your car. Now, we quickly before we get into Clemson football because they have hit uh, the good iron. They are getting after it here. Uh, in style now with uh, football in full swing. But, you know, have you seen the transformation, though, from what we do with the podcast, the live podcast, and they turn into a podcast vault where you can always go back and listen to it? You're seeing a lot of guys, even the Four Letter Network, uh, they took a big hit about a month ago, three weeks ago, where they cut a lot of guys, but yet not a lot of concern. These guys are like, look, man, I can go and do what these guys have been doing and leaving before to go do podcasts and do their own radio show without the overhead, without handing out half of their lump sum to somebody else and they basically can keep it themselves. Is this something that we're going to start to see continuing to be, you know, the, the the world of the internet radio is going to basically kind of overtake what you hear on your car as well as what you may see even on TV. Yeah, I think so. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, when I made the transition, the state newspaper did an article and uh, the, the, the statement was written that I kind of went about it backwards You know, because I started with a podcast and worked my way into radio. And and that can be what what you can still do. I mean, that's still an option for people. But conversely, you're right. What's happened more and more is that people are going from radio, and if their show gets cut, they just keep their audience through their social media channels and and then can – you know, still have a a captivated audience. They may not be able to make the exact same amount of money as they did while doing it, you know, with radio because it's a little tougher, I guess you would say, in terms of your audience. But, you know, that's why I've always parlayed and tried to build, you know, the website side of things where we we have writing and articles and cover recruiting uh, so that it's it's more versatile than just a radio show. And I certainly, you know, appreciate the opportunities that iHeart's given me to, continue to do my show, uh, I'm grateful for that every day, but I also recognize that in this era that we live in, especially since COVID, um, when COVID happened, you know, they let me go home and start doing the show, and then when it was time to go back, uh, they were, I, I called them up, and I said, well, could I still do it from here, because it's like a 30-minute drive to the studio, 30-minute drive back, you know, and I'm still trying to be a dad for my wife and the kids, and, you know, all of that, trying to be a husband, and, and do things. And, and they are like, yeah, you don't, you can still do it from home. So I still do the show from home. I've done one show since March of 2020 from an iHeart studio, which kind of blows mm-hmm. my mind. But I mean, there's to the listener, there's, there's no difference outside of, I don't take phone calls anymore, but I'll be honest. I, uh, I happened to listen to Paul Feinbaum's show for a minute yesterday, just to kind of, feel what the uh, narratives were in the SEC about all of the expansion and and everything going on. And I heard one caller call up, and I looked at my son. I was taking him to go work out, and uh, I looked at my son, and I said, well, that's why I don't take callers anymore.
0: (laughs) Because that guy was
3: derailing (laughs) all shows. Oh, my god. And they do that. Tammy does that over there all the time. Or Tammy, yeah, I, I believe did Tammy, well, she might have passed away, to be honest with you, now that I think about it. Tammy was one of his biggest callers. And I used to listen to Paul Bon all the time. You know, he was the original Howard Stern of sports radio, right? And now you got this guy that's on college game day that uh, I just don't like Michael V. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I know a lot of people are. I know that young generation likes it. I don't like the direction that college game day is going. And I want to talk about that before we do get to Clemson football uh, and, and get into this conference realignment. And your thoughts on is the ACC safe or not, and are they the next victim of the, uh, of the slayer of the conferences here? But what do you think about the, the, this, this new college game day era? I mean, they, they did cut, of course, uh, one guy off the show. They cut multiple guys out of the, the rest of ESPN, but it seems to me that college game days, they're going to get away from what has made them great, right? I mean, I love the 30 for 30 kind of show that they have during the show, right? They kind of highlight things, and yet, they put this new guy in the dead square, in the middle of the table. And I mean I'm talking the two guys to the right to the left of him are the two guys that basically founded this show. The two guys to the right of the show were kind of the, the other part of the heart and potatoes of the show. What are you what is your thoughts of where college game day and, and college football in general is going, uh, in this new era, new age, of course, with uh, the NIL, the transfer portal and all of that? Yeah, so you're talking about Pat McAfee being uh, a part of it now. Yeah. I and look, I think okay, so David Pollack, I, I guess kind of as they matured him through the program, my hunch is, and again, I don't know any of this. This is kind of just as the casual observer on Saturday. I feel like David Pollack was simply, you know, kind of the second version of Kirk Herbstreit, and you didn't really need two of those guys and maybe you could make an argument that Pollock was brought on to kind of be groomed for that role in case Kirk ever just decided to give it up and just went to broadcasting so that you would have, you know, an experienced player who obviously had a, a face that would work on TV. And then once you kind of saw the writing on the wall that Herb Street's going to stick around forever, you know, maybe that's why part of that cut ends up taking place. Now, McAfee, I know he he had, I think Jake Venable, excuse me, um, Jake Herbstreet was an intern, I believe, for that show. I don't think it was Ty. I think it was Jake. And I'm wondering if that relationship between Herbstreet and McAfee is not the reason that he's now on game day, because I'm absolutely certain that the only reason Lee Corso is still there is because... Herb Streets protected him over the years. And I read Herb Streets' book last year, and, you know, he really does see Lee Corso as a a father figure. And I think for fans, you know, Corso stumbles over his words ever since he had his stroke and struggles. But part of the beauty of that program at this point, I think, is especially if you've got parents who are a little bit older, is seeing that relationship and seeing Herb Street kind of help Corso navigate it and if you read the book you'll know that it was the opposite when herb street arrived herb street had not done a lot of that and it was corso back then who would help you know kind of carry the the load at times for for herb street so it's a, a unique relationship to watch and i think fathers and sons view it and could see that relationship and and certainly mothers and daughters etc now what the future should be on that show I've said this for years, Richie. And I don't know why they can't figure this out. Once Herb, excuse me. Once Corso decides to hang it up, okay, once he decides to give it up, throw the money at Steve Spurrier. Make Steve Spurrier have two visors sitting in front of him, and he picks up a visor, and he puts on the visor of the team that he thinks is going to win. Because you can't ever recreate the tradition of the headgear. But I think Steve Spurrier and his – You know, his – the connection that people have to him with visors, I think you could do it almost like a commitment ceremony. you got, you know, a Clemson visor sitting there on the table. you got a Florida State visor sitting on the table. And they say, hey, coach, who you got? And he picks up his, you know, Clemson visor and pops it on or whatever. To me, ironically, I used the two schools of the rivals. I didn't even mean to do that. You know, I didn't use South Carolina or Florida (laughs) there. But anyway – but right to me, like, that would be something for that show in the future that would kind of sure. bring it back. And, and Spurrier's still young enough to have probably 15, 20 years on television if he chose to. That's I like that idea, man. You Hopefully, if it happens, you get a little lump sum out of that. And, and you're right. He's kind of that one-liner kind of guy. He's very entertainingly funny in his jabs, the way he goes about it. I mean, of course, you being a Clemson guy, you've seen it on the other side. But – being a Gamecock in multiple ways. I've seen it on on multiple conversations, even the interviews that I've had with him. uh, You know, he's just – he's got those little zingers, man. That's made his era of coaching uh, something that I hope doesn't ever go away. I mean, we do still see it with uh, that coach over in Alabama. We do have a couple of other coaches that are very entertainingly funny with almost an automatic sound bit when they talk. But he is that guy. And that's a good fit. I like that. Hopefully we get into that. Now let's get into Clemson football. Dabo Swinney said a couple of weeks ago, this may be the most committed football team that he's had in five years. One guy didn't really hit the check marks. I don't think he's there anymore. That being said, that's a lot of dudes doing the right thing, and you're seeing it by these kids showing up early, staying late, going to facilities without being asked to or told to or anything like that. Lawton, kind of give us a rundown on what you've learned after the media days with the Clemson Tigers, and now they're back at it. They're on the field, and we're not going to stop running around until after a national champion is crowned around uh, college football. Yeah, I think it's it's funny because you know when you when you bring up the past couple of seasons, which have obviously for Clemson fans and probably even people nationally have come up short of the expectations during the college football playoff where Clemson you know, made six consecutive years and played in four championship games and won two titles, you know, when you finish on the outside looking in, whether that's the Cheez-It Bowl against Iowa State two years ago, even in a victory, or going and losing, you know, in one of the major bowls in the Orange Bowl to Tennessee, there there was still this level of what's going on in Clemson. And and when I tried to even kind of bring that up a little bit with Davo Sweeney at the ACC kickoff, you know, he kind of – he kind of laughed and said, yeah, you know, we're terrible. Because that, that kind of feels like the narrative, right? Like everybody's Clemson's, right. you know, Clemson's terrible. But I'm I'm convinced after kind of looking at it, I, I really think there was a lot to, and it wasn't brought up quite as much as it probably should have been. Yeah, you know, I, I just think that there was so much inconsistency with DJ Uyunglele. The downfield passing game for Clemson essentially vanished. And I look at the stats of, you know, even what they put up a year ago, which was better than what they put up in Tony Elliott's final year as the offensive coordinator. I mean, Brandon Streeter technically had a better year than Tony Elliott and then, of course, was relieved of his services. But I think I think it it, it goes back to D.J. Leungle away. And, I, you know, you can't just put it all on one guy. But, man, I mean, there were times, Richie, where it just looked like he was wearing concrete boots. And he just couldn't move fast enough to get out of his own way, even after he lost weight he still, when you put Cade Klubnik in and you saw what Cade looked like against North Carolina at the ACC Championship on that third drive by comparison to what you'd seen from DJ the first two drives, it was night and day. And so I just think the shift from Cade Klobnik, or excuse me, the shift from DJ to Cade Klubnik would probably, you know, have been enough to spark this team this year. But now you add in a Garrett Riley, whose offense was... Mm. You know, one of the top ones in the country had more 50-yard plays at TCU than any other program in America. It kind of makes you feel like, okay, you didn't just get one shot in the arm, but you got two. And so that's where I think Clemson, you know, Clemson fans are right now. I think they feel good about the offense. The defense, I think it's a make-or-break year for Wes Goodwin. I mean, it's probably not fair to say two years for a guy, but... The reality is when you see Brandon Streeter lose his job a year ago after just one season, I'll be honest, Richie, it kind of makes you think, well, if the defense underperforms for a second year, and I think it's fair to say they did. And, 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 and look, even Wes Goodwin admitted it. I mean, Wes Goodwin, you could see how much more comfortable he was this fall than he was a year ago when he took over. You could hear him talk about how he's now teaching the players versus you know maybe last year where he's trying to learn how to be a teacher. And so from that standpoint, you know, I I think it is a make-or-break year still for Goodwin. But if the offense is better than it was a year ago, then the defense, if they play the way they played last season, they'll probably still have a very good opportunity to make a run at the ACC championship. And if you do that, you're going to be in the conversation most likely for the college football playoff. So – you know, from that standpoint, I don't think Clemson has fallen off the map. I think Dabo Swinney's right. You know, I know people think they're terrible because they've had a couple of down years. But there there's a, a, a enough in the uh, stable, so to speak, for Clemson to get back to the college football playoff. Um, they've built the roster, you know, around that goal in mind. It hasn't worked out the past mm-hmm. two years, but they're still in a really good spot. And I think the additions of Riley, Kate Klubnick, should spark this offense to a point where they'll contend to get back in, if that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. We're hanging out with the one and only, of course, Lawton Swan with Clemson Sports. You can hear him on Fox Sports Radio 1400. He's part of that, our iHeart family sports radio package over there as well. Uh, And we look at it, Lawton, there's two other guys. There's two other guys that I'd like to throw in this conversation. Number one, I think Shipley's a huge deal in multiple ways. This young little guy, man, he reminds me a lot of the Mike Allstock back in the day with the Buccaneers. He's a spark plug, man, whether he's catching it out of <laughs> the backfield, he's running out of the backfield. I mean, I met the kid. Here's the cool part during COVID. In 2019, I met this young man at a camp that a couple of guys put together in Charlotte. Well, right outside of Charlotte, uh, I got to do uh, the radio and the TV, well, the TV for him back then. But this is a kid who walked up. He was a going to be a freshman at Clemson. He was in his, is in his slides. He was just in his gear. He just wanted to show up and support his buddies, his brothers, who uh, were there to uh, compete in this, in, this, uh, in this camp that they had put together up there. And um, great kid, man, well-spoken, just well-mannered, and you just knew he had some type of a, a different type of energy because he had it as soon as he walked on to this huge complex in Matthews, North Carolina. as he walks in, he talks to me, and he talks to a couple of my guys, and we interview him, we talk to him. And yet, as I see this kid, this little Mike Allstar guy on the football field, who doesn't know any better, he doesn't know he's not seven foot seven. He runs like he's seven foot seven, and he believes he is.
0: So, of course, <laughs> right. you see
3: the body of work. But look at what also was added to the portfolio this year. And there was a picture yesterday by a good buddy of yours and ours. And of course, Mr. Hood had Chad Morris welcome back to the Valley and Death Valley with the Tigers. Man, I know he's an analyst. And I get he's going to go out the week before, but you and I both know. That's a huge role, and that's a huge addition to an already very impressive hired as the offensive of coordinator to bring that guy back on top of some of the other weapons, like I mentioned, a guy like Shipley, man. Uh, talk to us about the excitement around the Valley when it comes to bringing in Chad Morris and seeing him back in that Clemson Orange and the Tiger Paul on his chest. Yeah, you know, I don't think we really know exactly what he's going to end up doing, but, I, I, you know, I, I think one of the – the biggest strengths you can have as a coach is to, and this would be just in terms of like the offensive coordinator and Garrett Riley is the self scout. And I I think that's probably some of what Chad Morris will do because that's not, you know, your heavier lifting for an analyst. And I think he'll be able to go through the games and kind of give some feedback. And, and that's where I would imagine his role will sit. Um, I would say, Again, I have no idea what the future holds. Um, I kind of project when you look at Garrett Riley, I think he's 35, if I remember correctly. I would imagine, you know, if we're just speculating, right, uh, that he does three years yeah. at Clemson at the most. And if Chad Morris is still around, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that's the next offensive coordinator down the road. I, I have no idea. This is just me kind of, you know, looking at sure. the, I'm looking at the roster and just trying to see how things <laughs> go. Um, but, you know, also, I, I've said on my show in the past, too, I think when you look at Dabo Sweeney's age and you look at Garrett Riley's age, it, it's not far-fetched to imagine, you know, Riley moves on from Clemson for, you know, five, six, seven years, whatever. That's ten years down the line for Sweeney. Sweeney may hang it up, and then who knows? Maybe Garrett Riley's the guy you, you bring back. So, I, you know, I think for the future, Clemson's probably in a good spot because Riley's such a hot commodity. I I see a a head coaching stint for him down the line if he has success at Clemson, and that's what it'll come down to. And then if that is indeed the case, then I would say that Dabo Sweeney, based off of the returns that they got from Chad Morris the first time around, while they didn't get you to the college football playoff, it set the stage for that, you know, because when he left in 2014, right before the Russell Athletic Bowl, that's when Tony Elliott, and Jeff Scott took over, and if there's any, like, major blemish, okay, that I would say that exists in Chad Morris' tenure at Clemson, it's that in that bowl game against Oklahoma, I think the final score, that was 2014, I think the final score of that game was 40-6. to Clemson beat Oklahoma in the Russell Athletic Bowl. Cole Stout,
0: like, he was
3: a five-star All-American in that bowl game. And any time that that Chad Morris coordinated Cole Stout, uh, the Tigers just struggled. I mean, they just never looked mm-hmm. really good. So that was kind of the first steps, I think, towards people going, okay, maybe move the move to Conelli and Jeff Scott is going to really work out for you. And uh, and then, of course, we all know the next year clips is in the championship and undefeated and gets beat and they win the title and, You know, they're back as the number one team in the playoffs in 2017. They win the title in 2018. And you're just like, holy cow. Well, I guess the transition from Chad Morris to Tony Allen Jeff Scott really worked out well. But, yeah, I think as far as, you know, him being around the program, that's definitely good. You know, Jeff Scott's in the area again. Um, I know Gamecock fans are certainly well aware of, of the Scott family. And, you know, I think that, you know, Jeff's tenure at South Florida, unfortunately, it's, one of those things where I mean it's a it's a high dollar sport, man. And listen, uh, I, I love my job. I love what I do. But if anybody ever wants to fire me and pay me millions, I'll be happily fired.
0: <laughs> <So it's>
3: like, <laughs> you know, I, I just think about I just think about Jeff Scott, right, sitting on the lake. He's got young kids, made plenty of money. He'll coach again, uh, but like Brandon Streeter, who's getting I think nine hundred thousand dollars a year for the next. Three years to not coach. You broke. You broke out the uh, stone called Steve Austin. Yeah, and you played the. Uh, yeah, I heard the glass. Well, guess what? Pin me, pay me. There you go. I'll take the L for a little <laughs> yeah. cash. Yeah. And that's how you, the guy that that coach that was up the road a little bit down the interstate in Columbia, Will Muschamp. Talking about getting paid, this dude's getting paid, and he's still coaching in in in, in Georgia. And it's just like, man, I, where I work at, my nine to five brother, they they ain't giving up those packages. They haven't even got rings and things no more, no watches, or nothing. But uh, you know, it's a great Listen. place to call home and a great place to work. But they ain't firing me and paying me to sit home. I can promise you that. If, if the Gamecocks had just listened to me when they're getting ready to hire Will Muschamp, I'll do. I'm trying to tell everybody. <laughs> Nobody wants to trust the Clemson yeah. guy. I'm on the radio. I'm like, right. I'm making a bad decision. Hey, you know what? Not my decision. <laughs> well, it was a bad one for sure, and I wish it would have been your decision. great guy. Hey, man. I'll eat. Hey, I I'll the... break bread with Will Muschamp any day. But that's about as far as I go with him. Got the right guy now. I'm gonna tell you, they got the right guy now. Oh yeah. This, 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 this is the best hire that South Carolina has had, arguably, in the program's history.
2: Um, I know I he hasn't that. had the
3: success that Steve Spurrier's had, but he's a lot younger than Steve Spurrier was when Spurrier arrived. I don't know if he'll get to 11 two, right. eleven and 11 two, eleven 11-2 because of what the conference is going to look like in the future. But mm-hmm. if you right. ask me, uh, in terms of program stability, you know, I, I, I know – Joe Morrison was certainly on a track back in the mid 80s, you know, with what they did in 84 with the fire ant defense and all that right before his untimely passing that he probably would have been able to establish South Carolina. Um, I know there was certainly some scandals that surrounded that program, but in in terms of kind of where they were, maybe trajectory they were on, if he continued, you know, to be able to coach, You know, I think if you're a Gamecock fan, you you probably feel like this is as close as you've been to that. uh, Just in terms of you know you got the guy, now you just got to give him time. I think the biggest hurdle that that uh, Shane Beamer will face is impatience in the fan base, and a portion of that impatience comes from the fact that under Muschamp, I mean it just it just wasn't great, and Gamecock fans are ready to win immediately. And if they have a six and six year, you know, this season, I could see Gamecock fans being really frustrated, you know, feeling like they took sure. a step back. But that's the, that's the nature of, of the beast at this point in college football. Well, it's definitely a different league and, and, and shows you first class, being able to talk about a rival school down the road, uh, wearing different colors and things as well. And that's why I love to do what we do here. And a guy like you that is so good at what you do, as we're hanging out with Lawton Swan, as he does his own show. Of course, uh, Clemson Sports, you can find him at Fox Sports Radio 1400 up in the upstate. iHeart Radio is part of that family as well. And of course, he's part of our family. And uh, But I agree with you. I mean, but you look at it, and there's a guy up there, and I, and I want to make sure we cover the Tigers and realignment before I get you out of here in the next 30. But when you look at a guy like Mark Ryan, Mark Ryan's another voice, uh, uh, another uh, guy that does what we do. He's up there in the upstate with you. Does it? Am I getting the wrong vibe? It seems like he talks more about that guy in Columbia than you really hear him talk more about the guy in Clemson. And I get that he's in the Greenville market, so he's there to cover the state. Even though I get he's in Greenville, just like you and me do what we do, we still can't throw a blind eye to anything in the world of sports in the Palmetto State. But even, even him, he was ranking out the Steve Spurrier, the Will Muschamp, and, of course, Beamer. And I think personally, and I and I look, I'm a big Spurrier guy, but I think Beamer's way ahead of him. Okay, he doesn't get it. He didn't come into Columbia with the notoriety of the wins of the that air tag that he had in Florida when he, of course, you know, Beamer was as an assistant and things like that. This is his first head coaching job, and this dude is already landing five star dudes. He got one this week. Spurrier didn't have a whole lot of five star guys. If you go back to look at him in Columbia, he didn't. And if you look at Alshon Jeffries, you know, let us be told the truth is that he had a huge deal with getting Alshon Jeffries to he commit from Southern Cal and to come to Columbia out of St. Matthews. That guy that was doing the cha-cha with his mama, of course, everybody knows more, one of the great running backs in the state of South Carolina. Even Clemson fans respect him because, he, of course, he's one of your guys in your backyard. You know, that, that the word on the street was that Beamer had to handle that. Beamer is a personable dude, and Gamecock fans don't like this either, but it's the reality of it, man. He is a like it, leave it, or love it. He is a perfect version between Steve Spurrier – and Dabo Sweeney, if they had made a baby, you got Dabo, you got it, <laughs> Shane Beamer. And, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, by no means, Gamecock fans or Clemson fans. But think about it, right? I mean, he's really yeah.
0: –
3: that's what you see. He can recruit like oh. no other. The guy goes out and sells you the dream, but the guy that they just got, the number one athlete who is who out there who's sponsored by Under Armour, he's got all this, everything. He said, the one thing I love about this guy – is that he says what he does and does what he says, and he is real. He didn't quit recruiting me when he got me. He kept recruiting me and loving me as he did the very first day he met me, and I think that's what makes him the different kind of guy, and that's what makes Dabo that guy, which makes us have the best two head football coaches in college football in the state of South Carolina. Well, you can't – I think in NIL and transfer portal, the era that we're in, right – you know, and, and Dabo Sweeney was asked yesterday about their realignment. We got an article up on our website right now about it. But, you know, the, the thing that he talked about is, you know, you have to focus on your own program. You can't be worried about everything else. And you got to have commitment. you got to have guys who are bought in. And I've I said it, um, yeah, I think I think Shane Beamer's, you know, South Carolina's Dabo Sweeney. I think he could be there as long as he wants. Uh, I I know he I know he was born in Charleston I know his dad was sure. coaching down at the Citadel and I know he he claims that this is home for him, um, but if if thing, you know I I thought that there was a chance when that Virginia Tech came open that when that job came open uh, a year or so ago whenever that was before Brent Pry took it that he was going to be you know Beamer was going to be a name that'll be there um, and it may work out you know, depending on how things play out in Columbia, that he does end up, you know, at some point down the line coaching at Virginia Tech. Because, I mean, that to me, no matter how, where you were born, if your dad was the coach mm-hmm. there and you grew up in Blacksburg, that's probably, you know, behind closed doors. <laughs> it's probably really home for him in, in his mind. But I will say, I think you've got a guy that could coach his entire career here. If the Gamecock fans are patient with him, and they pay him what he's worth because he does have the qualities that you have to have as a coach in this era uh, to win. And he will be sought after by other programs. And that's not something that South Carolina can really ever say about any coach in their program's history, is that they were sought after by other programs and went on to coach somewhere else. And this is a guy that could absolutely do that. And if you're a Gamecock, what you want, is 15, 20 years with Shane Beamer.
5: Um, Mm -hmm.
3: But it's, uh, you know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be hard to keep him because if Brent Bennebles doesn't work out at Oklahoma, the Sooners could call. I mean, he's been there. I mean, there's a lot of programs that he's connected to uh, that certainly have the money. We have uh, uh, bigger branding, so to speak. And, and, you know, we, we see it all the time. I mean, we see it all the time. Coaches, coaches change jobs. And uh, I do think he's committed, though, to Columbia at this point. And uh, I think he's – I wouldn't have him above Spurrier yet, I'll be honest with you. But he's, he's the coach, like I said earlier, that could surpass Spurrier and could certainly be known in my mind as the, the greatest South Carolina head football coach by the end of his tenure. And I agree with you 100% now for him to do that. He's got to go through the Valley, like it, leave it, or love it, to beat the Clemson Tigers is with a huge feather in his cap last year. He did it in Death Valley, but let's go back to that Valley in Clemson. Dabo Sweeney, 2023-24 season is here. Florida State, once again, conversation. They're going to be a pretty good squad over there. Of course, you've got some other teams over there that are barking. We'll find out North Carolina. They'll be playing those Gamecocks here in uh, the first weekend of college football with College Game Day, but – Dabo, again, says he's locked and loaded. Man, do we expect Clemson to kind of pick up and really start to take that next step to get back to? Again, they are a part of the elite. When you don't win a national title and it's a bad season, you know you've made it to where you need to be. You've <laughs> got to stay there. Is this that year? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think the fact that that Florida State game is so early in the season um, is something to kind of keep your eyes on being the fourth game. Obviously, there could be a rematch between those two teams uh, in the ACC championship. But, you know, if Clemson were to win that game, which I think they'll be favored by the time we get there in September, even if Florida State's the higher ranked team, um, with that being a home, you know, home field game, I think that if Clemson wins that, I don't know that we're still at the point with Mike Norvell at Florida State where they're immune to another hiccup along the way, another loss along the way. And if that happens in a divisionless ACC, and you have two losses, I I think it's going to be hard uh, to get back, you know, into the the conversation of being a team that's in that ACC championship against what would potentially be uh, an undefeated Clemson team. But, yeah, I I think the Tigers are probably going to be playing in Charlotte in December. Uh, I think they'll have a chance to make a run to the college football playoff again, as I mentioned. uh, The game that I think people are kind of sleeping on, though, honestly, if I'm being – you know, just telling you, Richie, uh, Duke in the opener, uh, Riley Leonard is a quarterback that threw for nearly 3,000 yards a year ago, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions. Mike Elko is a great defensive mind, just got a new contract. Uh, obviously, that program under Coach Cutcliffe was kind of built for the offensive side of things, which I think has kind of helped this transition. And it's not one of those transitions either where Cutcliffe ran it into the ground and then you fired him because you've been terrible for a year after year after year. Uh, it was more of a transitional move, uh, and and that's what you need to keep some stability in your program. And I think that's why you saw Duke last year. You know, they were nine and four. It could have been, probably should have been eleven and two. And <laughs> incredibly, go check their schedule if you don't believe this. Uh, they're about a, a, a hair away from being uh, eleven and or excuse me, eleven and one. Yeah. So, I mean, hmm. that's that's the kind of season Duke had a year ago. And for Clemson to have to open with that game, you you know how it is week one. Man, the ball bounces funny, turnovers. Uh, you got some nervous jitters your first time out. That's the game I think people are kind of sleeping on. But, yes, I would say if I had to make a prediction, I would say Clemson's in the ACC championship and squarely in the college football playoff conversation in December. Whether or not they get there, I can't tell you. But I think that's where they'll be when we're talking, you know, once the weather starts to cool off. No doubt. Now, again, this is the last year for four teams to make the playoffs. Next year, it goes to eight. Next year, it's going to be quite a different-looking season in college football. As we're hanging out with the one and only Clemson Sports, very on hanging out today with us this morning on Southern Sports Central. You can find him on Fox Sports Radio 1400 up there in the upstate along with iHeartRadio. He's part of that iHeart family along with our family. Lawton, now let's quickly get to, before we run out of time, the big deal that happened yesterday with the Big Ten creating an earthquake and the tremors continue today, aftershocks continue to hit, because before we decided to cut our phones down or off or whatever, uh, the Big 12 added three to their portfolio, man. Uh, what's your thoughts of that? What's your thoughts of it heading east and heading into the ACC? I know Clemson and Florida State have made their conversations, and Florida State is screaming it from the top of Twitter uh, give me your thoughts on this whole as the realignment turns in college football, brother. Yeah. So I do, I, I think you said eight team, you meant 12. There's going to be eight plus the four, right? The uh, 12 team playoffs next year. But um, the reason right, I yeah. bring that up is, yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew what you meant when you said it though. The reason I bring that up is because, you know, in the current system, the plan was that the conference, you know, the power five uh, conference champs are going to get in uh, at this point. I'll be honest. The Pac-12 with just four teams left, uh, and I would I would venture to guess Stanford of those four, it's Washington State, Oregon State, uh, Stanford, and Cal. I would guess Stanford's got the money to go independent, kind of like Notre Dame if they want, and, and just schedule up whoever. But every I, I don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, at this point, without a fifth Power Five league, uh, which I, I, I don't – the the Pac-12, I think, is dead. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like, so I can't really really tell you. But I think in terms of, you know, the opportunity for fans to get some home games in the playoffs will be awesome. Uh, I think it certainly is going to open the door for more teams to be in, which I think is good. I know coaches have said, Dabo Sweeney has said, that you know, it feels like it's going to water down the product. I say – Uh, Bull butter to that. Uh, I don't believe that. I think that it's going to make it better because I think in the current system we're in, the end of every year, look, heck, at the end, at the beginning, if you told me right now, say, Swanee, make a prediction who's going to be in, all right, I'm going to say the college football playoff would be Georgia, Ohio State, uh, Clemson, And then you take your pick, right? Like Oklahoma, do you think it might be Alabama or LSU? I mean, there was only a few teams that you could talk about. And that was it. If you ask me now to tell you who are going to be the 12 teams in, Richie, buddy, I got a list of teams, you know, from here to Bangor, Maine, that you could put on that list. Because I think there's 20 teams that will compete for the 12 spots, maybe more than that. And I think that's great because in that final couple of weeks of the season, instead of just looking at what's happening with Clemson and what's happening with Alabama, and what's happening with Georgia, dude, you'll be able to say, man, this game tonight between Oklahoma state and Texas tech could determine if Oklahoma state gets in the college football playoff. And and that to me, I think makes it better because I think at the end of the year, fans, casual observers, whoever will be more likely to tune in to games that they'd otherwise not watch because, playoff implications could be on the line. And quite frankly, you know this, man. If we're watching the number 16 team versus the number 23 team uh, in late November, man, there's no college football playoff implication. But all of a sudden, in a 12-team playoff, number 16 might very well be in it. And that, I think, is where you get, you know, some benefit, some legit benefit for the fans across the country for college football. The NFL model works. Obviously, we're kind of headed towards something similar to that, and uh, there's a reason why, and that's because the college football playoff, you know, executives, high rollers, whoever they are, they see how much money the NFL garners. And uh, if you can recreate something similar to that, you're going to make similar money. Hanging out, wrapping it up here with Lawton Swan. Of course, you can find him on numerous ways over there, of course, on social media. does big times on multiple avenues here, not only Southern Sports Central, but, of course, Fox Sports, iHeartRadio. Do you feel the final thing, do you feel the ACC is okay, man? Do you, do you feel like there's any, where there's smoke, there's fire, where there's noise, uh, there's some ears being listened to, but do you feel like the ACC is going to be okay? They're going to make it out of this next wave of, uh, I would say, addition by subtraction. Yeah. I don't know how you can't. I mean, look, it's going to cost you $100 million or so to leave. You can't play a home game on television for 13 years. Do you know what? No, Tomahawk, Chop, you know, Chief Osceola spearing the 50-yard line on television for 13 years would do to Florida State's program. Uh, I I said this. I put it up on – I'll be putting it – I guess I hadn't put it up yet, but I was working on it earlier on our TikTok account. I mean, Florida State can chirp all they want about what they want out of the ACC. They hadn't done, honestly, anything on the college football landscape in in a decade. Um, Mm. So, you know, they're running around as if they're, you know, Nick Saban in Alabama, and and quite frankly, they haven't been dominant in the sport since Bobby Bowden was coaching. So, I know they won the title in 2013 – I know they got back to the playoff in 2014, uh, but they've been like Harry Houdini, dude. These guys have vanished. And so I'm, I'm just saying, all right, look, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to leave the league to go make a little bit more money because the Big Ten is not going to give you the full cut. You see what the Big Ten did uh, with Washington and Oregon. They're not getting the full cut, and I get it. That's what happened to Maryland and Rutgers. That's why Maryland and Rutgers are terrible for people that don't know. Go look at the deal that Maryland took to leave the ACC to go to the Big Ten, and and they got taken behind the woodshed because the Big mm-hmm. Ten, you know, was taking if it was a twenty and everybody else was getting eighty, right? I mean, you just couldn't keep up. They're getting a fourth or whatever the number ends up being. Well, they're going to do that to anybody else that comes into that league, and you can't you can't make up the hundred million you know, five, six years to make up $100 million. And in that time span, you're not being able to play a home game for 13 years on television? Because ESPN and the ACC aren't going to give that up to you. The only way this thing, the only way, Richie, that anything happens is if the ACC just completely falls apart. And that would mean that every team in the league, and you know this, they're not going to. Because mm-hmm. Syracuse and right. Boston College and, and and the properties that aren't what you call traditional football values or football properties or whatever have high value, they're not just going to walk away from the money because they know the money's in football. And so that means, look, Clemson, Florida State, 10 years goes by in a blink. And how do I know that? Because Florida State fans are probably yelling at their radio right now listening to me say that they've been banished for, you know, Harry Houdini. That was still 10 years ago, and it went by like that. So guess what? 10 more years, if this is twenty. Uh, if this is 20, you know, 29 or 2030 or something, and you're a little closer right. to the end of the deal, then maybe you step away and give up three years of home games. That's 18 ball games. But you're not giving up 13 seasons of college football home games in Tallahassee or Clemson or anywhere. It's just not happening. So I think the ACC, bad deal. Uh, in terms of, I call it the Bobby Bonilla kind of deal. You know, it just keeps coming up in terms of what Swofford got. At the time, people thought it was good. But where it was good, it's going to keep the league together. And look what's happened to the Pac-12. See, the ACC would have been the Pac-12 without a grant of rights that's built the way this was built. It would have fallen apart. But when they saw, you know, when the flirtations happened previously with Clemson and Florida State, John Swofford, who, again, we know financially it's a bad deal uh, at this point, but for the health of the conference, would you rather be the ACC or would you rather be the Pac-12 today? And uh, I think that's the the lasting impact of this grant of rights. At some point, it's going to change. The whole sport's changing rapidly before our eyes anyway. But, yes, I do not think Florida State or Clemson is going to be anywhere uh, in the next couple of years. I just don't see it. Right. Now the final thing before I get you out, man, thank you for giving me a good solid hour and thanks to fam for letting me have you for an hour away on a Saturday here on Southern sports central. Uh, Lawton, what's your thoughts And I've asked a a guest this hour before you, we do have this other thing that we look at and it's a couple of years now into it. And one is the NIL deal where we're seeing athletes uh, taking some money and heading to the house. And then of course, the other side of it is uh, the transfer portal. Now, Johnny Menzel, shockingly, so, I think he opened a bar over there by the way at college station said he misses the days of them getting the money under the table rather than the way they get it now, but I got to be honest with you, man I don't see any of these <laughs> I don't see any of these athletes hurting as I watched the Gamecock quarterback go get himself in a brand new pickup truck the other day or Jeep or whatever it was, and I know that same's happening up there in Death Valley, but uh, what's your thoughts of covering this sport for so long? And you know, I was a guy that played college baseball. I would have loved to have an n i l deal uh, and the transfer portal really—I I could go either way with it—but you're seeing starting guys like I mentioned in the last call, or the last uh, guest with me. South Carolina had a starting running back, literally a starting running back that left to go to Southern Cal, not guaranteed the starting position, all because of money. Another young man went to Oregon, and I believe another gentleman's down there at Florida State. But uh, that being said, uh, I can speak on that behalf as a Clemson Tiger guy that covers the Tigers. Um, Transfer portal really not a conversation with Davo Sweeney. Some like that he likes it, some likes that he don't. But the NIL deal is a real deal, no matter what school you're in. What's your thoughts on those two fronts? Well, for so first off, with the the NIL stuff, you know, like Rattler, that's a lease for everybody at school, and I can't believe he can afford one hundred thirty nine thousand uh, dollars. And so, <laughs> you know, you're going to see dealerships continue to do things like that because, again. He's not getting 139 grand for that uh, uh, that G-Wagon that he, he just picked up. Uh, that's number one. Um, a lot of those things are leases that you see. So pump the brakes on how much money that is. Believe me, the car dealerships uh, can afford to do deals like that. I guess the other question becomes, you know, insurance paid for. That would be the one thing I don't know about it. But, anyway, I digress. Right. Um, I think the bigger problem in college football is the transfer portal. I think it's a bigger problem in college sports. NIL fine. I'm fine with it. I, 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 I'm okay with the way it works. I'd obviously like to see a scenario where uh, every kid on the team is making some money. I think that would be uh, a better way to do it. I know that might create a situation where you have employees, and I know that's not something people want to get involved in because then at some point, and you hear a lot of this, like if, uh, let's say, Pat Mahomes. Mahomes is going to do cryotherapy. Uh, well, in a lot of respects, or hyperbaric stuff, you know, he's having to pay for that. Uh, he's having to pay for it. Um, it's not necessarily happening out of the Chiefs' pocket. And so do we cross over into the point of where, you know, players are having to pay back their scholarships for school or even go to school? I mean, there's there's that aspect of it that I don't love because I always wanted to be – you know, part of the part of the beauty of college football versus the NFL, in my opinion, was when I was in the stands as a student, I was also in chemistry class with the starting linebacker. So there was it, it was a little more like a high school football uh, on steroids, right? It was just a, a different, and I never felt that. Anytime I go to the Panthers or the Falcons or any pro game, all I can ever do is sit there in the stands and look at that guy standing on the sideline that's never getting in the ball game and go, I can't believe that guy's making $400,000. You know, and here I am scrapping together everything I've got just to be able to afford to go to the game. So I don't want us to cross over into that world, uh, but I do want to see player have, I mean, look, I got $300 a month when I was in college. That's what my dad gave me when I was in school, dude, I thought I was the richest kid on earth. I couldn't spend 300 bucks. So, I it, I don't see how if these guys got ten or fifteen thousand dollars a year across the board, and everything else that comes along with being an athlete, that it, and honestly, Richard, we never would have been here if coaches would have agreed to that when they could have. If players had been getting fifteen twenty thousand dollars a piece for the eighty-five scholarship guys, players would have never complained because they would have still been the wealthiest guys on campus. But. When you when you deprive them of that, and they saw the salaries going up, I get that. The bigger thing for me, though, is the transfer portal, and here's why: the transfer portal has put us in an era where there's unlimited free agency, essentially. And I know you can't leave all the time, but players are constantly because of the inducements of NIL, you know, being you know in back channels or whatever. Recruited to go somewhere else to make more money. And I think that's the bigger problem with college football and college sports in general. I, it's Can you imagine being Phil Steele right now and trying to keep up with rosters hmm. for your preseason magazine? Are you kidding me? I, I mean, I had no idea, you know, who's where anymore. The fact that you got multiple quarterbacks, you know, that, uh, that you know, Phil Dracovic was last season was at the ACC kickoff with Boston college this year, he was there with Pitt. What? Like it doesn't, that's not college sports to me. And so what I think they need to do, and I don't think this is unreasonable. I, and I don't know what, you know, whether it's the Supreme court or whoever would have to hear it or however it will work out. But I don't believe that students, student athletes should be able to transfer and play immediately. I just don't believe that to be, unless like you could have hardship cases, right? Your granddad's dying. And this is where it kind of came from. There was a player, I can't remember his name. You can probably find it online. Anybody that wants to throw it in their Google machine. There was a player playing in the SEC. I think it was at Alabama or LSU, one of the two. I can't quite remember. He had a grandfather who was sick. He was back up at, like, Michigan State. So the kid wanted to leave and wanted to go to finish his career at Michigan State to be closer to home. That, to me, is reasonable. But he wasn't allowed to do it, as I recall. And that was kind of the moment where it started to shift in the favor of the players because we weren't being granted opportunities to, you know, under certain circumstances that people I think deemed fairly reasonable, you know, to, to go somewhere else without penalty. I would be 100% for that. If you have a valid reason, yes, go move, go play. Your coach leaves. That's the other argument people bring up. I, I can't believe I've been on here for an hour. Not that I mind, Richie, but I can't believe I've been running my mouth right. this long. Um, <laughs> if your coach leaves and you want to have the right to go somewhere else with
4: okay with that.
3: You just can't go with your coach. So it, that would keep people from saying, okay, well, Nick Saban's just going to go from Alabama to Oklahoma, and he's going to bring his whole team with him. Right? right? You can't go where your old coach went sit out, and I'm okay with that. Anything else, you just saying, oh, man, you know what, I think I'm going to go play at North Carolina next year and not sit out?
0: No. Because if you yeah. had
3: that, if you had that and you had it set up where you couldn't receive NIL until you were on the playing field, right, that would re- that would reduce yeah. transfers because players would go, well, I, 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 look, I'd love to come to North Carolina. I know you guys are saying you're going to pay me more, But I got to sit out a year, and I can't get paid that year I'm sitting out. And Hmm. to me, that would heal a lot of the issues without taking NIL away, and it would curb some of the transfer portal stuff. Now, some people might say I'm out of my mind, Richie. But the transfer portal is the biggest problem in sports. And I – you can't convince me that it's nil. And I and I and you valid points. And this is why we have the great one on here right now with us, Lawton Swan. Swan, of course, with his own Clemson sports. Find him in the Upstate Fox Sports Radio 1400. He's part of the I Heart family and he's part of our family as we uh, we got you for an hour, man. And like you said, dude, I can get you for another couple of hours. It's just so much. I told my son this. He, I said, man, this is a season that never sleeps like they never graduate, well, college football never sleeps because of the NIL, because of the transfer portal, because of as the uh, conference realign turns, weekend, day in, hour in, and second in, out, uh, as we continue to get ready for this thing called kickoff, and it's happening in a couple of weeks, brother. Uh, anything you want to give, uh, give yourself a chance to plug anything, anybody that uh, can find you, how they listen to you, how do they catch up with you, and what's happening over there with you guys on uh, Clemson Sports. Yeah, man. Just, um, you know, if you're a Tiger fan, a Gamecock Bulldog, Yellow Jacket, we talk about it all. I know the name in light is Clemson Sports Talk. I get it. But we talk about it all. You can listen anywhere in the world, like you said, on the iHeartRadio app, Fox Sports Radio 1400, uh, in the Midlands. If you're traveling through Columbia, uh, come tune in. Be a part of what we do. And then uh, the website, uh, Clemsonsportstalk.com. Great content, recruiting coverage, uh, if you are, you know, so willing to support us, it's one dollar to start a membership, and uh, Gamecock fans will love it. After that, it's sixty-three dollars and seventeen cents, so sixty-three seventeen for a year of coverage of the Tigers. And we will end you with that, brother. It's always a good time, man. We just uh, we really appreciate you what you do. Uh, again, go out support the guy who supports us, and that's what family does, man. At the end of the day. Uh, you know, what happens in the state stays in the state. Until then, uh, we will uh, catch up with you next time. Stay up to date. Stay uh, stay on board with us. And, uh, again, man, thanks for the time you gave us here this morning. Yeah, man, absolutely. All right, buddy. Enjoy it. Until next time, we'll see you soon, buddy. All right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, Lawton Swan. The Swanee has joined us here for the Power Hour of Sports Radio here on Southern Sports Central. Always a good time and an opportunity to talk to a guy who does what he loves and loves what he does uh, as he joined us here this past uh, hour to talk not only about Clemson, not only about the ACC, but he talked about even the game guys. He talked about the SEC. He talked about the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the whole cabinet of conversations. But we got a break because they've got to get – our final guest, we're rolling up this red carpet for, of course, Chris Phillips. He is the man behind the mic of the Spurs Up show. Going to get him to call in, hang out with us, and talk an hour of the SEC and Gamecock football and his thoughts, his opinions on what's going on with this conference realignment. If you checked in to hear Chris, hang tight. We'll be right back. This is Southern Sports Central on Block Talk Radio. I'm Richie Altman and we'll be right back, guys.
2: There is nothing more intoxicating than the meld of emotions and sensations that is Friday night. Friday night is the sound of that crowd, the pride of that community, the way that that grass smells. I've never felt in my adult life the way that I felt on Friday nights. That's what those kids are playing for. They're playing for that emotion. They're playing for that brotherhood and all of that sensory input that comes from Friday night. That's why they're playing high school football in this country. It is this common thread that weaves through the American fabric. Whether you live in Compton, California, or you live in Appalachia, if you played the game at the high school level, you have this common bond of representing that community anyone who disparages where the game is based on myriad reasons. I'm not buying it. I'm around the game every day on these campuses. I see the impact it has on these young men. I see the way that these coaches are able to grow high school boys into NFL or professional men, and it's just beautiful.
1: Welcome to Southern Sports Central, your source for all things sports. With your host, Richie Altman.
2: Richie Altman.
1: And Eugene Benton taking your calls at
0: 323-784-9681.
1: Now. Let's join Richie in the studio.
3: Welcome back, everybody. The final hour has hit us here on Southern Sports Central. I want to thank everybody for catching in here today with us. As we are excited. Uh, to get with Chris Phillips here in just a minute here, getting him mic'd up, getting him ready to rock and roll, a lot to get into with the SEC, and they got to sit back with a big old box of popcorn, just waiting and watching and enjoying this thing called craziness around the country. It started yesterday, actually a day before, maybe the day before that, when uh, we even broke it out. The Kevin Noon, of course, uh, that covers the Big Ten uh, on multiple outlets, said that, It is going to be Oregon, and it is going to be Washington. And he mentioned a couple of ACC schools, but so far, two out of his four have come true. Now that's four teams inside the Big Ten, but not to be outdone on this wonderful game of chess that they're playing in conference play, the Big 12 said, before you lay your heads down and cut down your phones, let me introduce you to three new members of our conference. Again, the SEC had already trumped all of that, in my opinion, by picking up the likes of Oklahoma and Texas into the SEC. Now, the question is, do the SEC sit back and wait? You just heard Lotton Swan from Clemson Sports mention, I mean, the amount of money it's going to cost Florida State that's sitting there barking and, and screaming and yelling that they want out, they want out, they want out. It's going to be quite an expensive out, if you know what I mean. With that being said, we are now ready to bring him in, and let's do it the way that we do it and the way we like to bring him in in style, of course, is the one and only Mr. Chris Phillips from the Spurs Dev Show.
0: Woo!
3: Doing minute in style with a 2001 and a little bit of nature, boy. The man himself, Mr. Chris Phillips, joins us again here on Southern Sports Central. He has his own show and doing it in style. Spurs up show. You can hear him daily doing it big over there. Of course, Chris, man, what a week it's been and what a night it was last night, brother. Welcome back to the show with me this morning.
5: Ricky, what's going on, man? I appreciate you having me on. We're just 28 days away from kickoff, but yeah, in the meantime, it seems that conference realignment talk has really taken over, but uh, the good news is this. These teams are back on the practice field, and we're getting that much closer talking about all things on the field versus transfer portal, NIL, realignment, you name it, sort of, again, the topics that have dominated uh, the last couple of weeks or so.
3: Yeah, we get away from the we get away from the cooler at the office and back towards the TV. As you're right, 28 days for the Gamecocks kicking off against North Carolina College game day, gonna kick it in style as well. There in Charlotte, uh, they had media day. I didn't get a chance to get up there on Thursday. It used to be on a Sunday. I remember in the Spurrier days it was a Sunday, and I think Mushamp had it on Sunday as well. But you know, he wanted and, and that being Beamer wanted to get the guys uh, access before they hit the field for the first time and. Uh, man, you everybody got to talk to everybody, full access, it looked like, and a lot of great interviews uh, from you and some other guys that we uh, connect with here on the show as well, man. But what was your take on Thursday when you saw everybody kind of getting together? You got to see uh, the young man from South Florence. They, of course, he's that rookie on campus. They had other big same five-star kid from the uh, Northeast region. He was there. And, of course, there's familiar faces that are there with uh, one of the best wide receivers I've seen as that with Mr. Wells and, of course, Rattler on campus to uh, you name it, you pick it. Man, what was your take on uh, the media day on Thursday as the Gamecocks uh, hit the field?
5: Excitement, Richie. I mean, I think everybody's just itching to go, man, after the way you finished last year, beating Tennessee, beating Clemson, and uh, coming into this season with so much hype and anticipation. Like you mentioned, college game day, of course. Going to Charlotte, North Carolina for week one. I mean, the game was already big. It was already a tone setter for both programs, but it adds just another level of, you know, anticipation and excitement, if you will, run that season opener. But, yeah, man, I just think excitement for the season. You know, I, I think it's a confident bunch. I think everybody believes in, you know, this team coming into this year. While there are question marks, I think there have been some moves made through the transfer portal through guys being moved, you know, within the roster, for example, to carry on, join, or to running back. They feel really confident about. And, you know, I think this is a football team that really – It really demonstrates the attitude of its head coach. It reflects the attitude, I should say, of its head coach and Shane Beamer, which, again, is a fierce competitiveness and excitement and just an urge to get going. So I know they're excited, man, to be back on the practice field, and it sounds like so good so far. And, uh, you know, just counting down the days, again, to kick off. But, yeah, I I just think excitement uh, at a palpable level is really the way to describe it.
3: Hang out with Chris Phillips. He, of course, is with his show. The Spurs Up show does a phenomenal job uh, Monday through Sunday. I mean, this guy doesn't rest, trust me, and believe me, uh, he's working hard when we're down and uh, in our dreams throughout the night. Now, that being said, you mentioned the running position. Of course, Dakarian Joyner is a, a product of the Lowcountry, where we're located down here in the lower state uh, out of Fort Dorchester, but there's another running back. There's another running back there, Mr. Anderson, who came from Stratford, another Lowcountry kid who, of course, recently was at Newberry have you had a chance to meet this young man? I can tell you firsthand, he comes from a big family, a nice family, but his work ethic on the field, off the field, I've seen it firsthand. He does an incredible job. How do you see him playing a role in a running back position? uh, Is it a running back by committee or do you think it's the carry on and then everybody else?
5: So Richie first, I haven't met him actually, but I have watched plenty of film on him. And I mean, I I think that he certainly factors into the competition. You know, it sounds like yesterday he was taking reps with the second team offense. So again, It's day one. We'll see how that changes, whatever. And, of course, the running back position, that battle in that room, is one of the top storylines of fall camp between D'Kerion Joyner, Juju McDowell, Mario Anderson, and incoming freshman Dontavious Braswell, who's on campus now participating in fall camp as well. But when you look at Mario Anderson, man, and we got a glimpse of him, of course, in the spring, in the spring game, stocky guy. And I I think one of his, his best attributes is that, he's done it before in the sense of he's put a team on his back. He's been an RB1. You know, we saw what he did, Richie, at Newberry when he won the Division II version of the Heisman Trophy. And say what you want about the level of play, that's impressive. You know, over 3,000 yards rushing in his three-year career there. So, um, you know, I I think certainly Mario Anderson figures in the mix. I do think right now when South Carolina takes the field against UNC, I do think RB1 is going to be the carry-on joiner. I think he's going to get the first crack at it. But – I mean, Richie, beyond that, again, it's a major storyline. You know, do they stick with a Dak Joiner as an RB1? Is it going to be a running back by committee? Uh, you know, Mario Anderson, for him specifically, you know, the, the, the jump to the next level is a storyline, right? Going from Division two to the SEC, listen, it's just a different speed of the game, man. It's a different ball game. Can he adjust to it? And what type of impact can he make in it? Again, back in the spring game, I thought he was able to get those tough yards, if you will, and, and find the hole and, you know, hit the hole with the explosiveness. So, You know, I I think Mario Anderson's a guy, the biggest challenge for him is just going to be the speed of the game and adjusting to the SEC uh, because there is a difference, right? I mean, I know we talk a lot about it when you go FCS to SEC, and maybe it's not quite as drastic. But this is a whole different division, right? It's a complete step up from D2 to D1. But he certainly factors in that competition. I think you're going to see all four of those guys I mentioned previously get a crack at it in the first couple of weeks. And and that's what's going to be so fascinating, how Montario Hardesty, Dabble Loggin, Shane Beamer, do they want to go RB1 or do they want to go kind of by committee and, and ride the hot hand from week to week this season?
3: Now, we look at the running backs, the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, but let's be honest, it starts in the trenches of that front line, the offensive line. Sometimes, in my personal opinion, it's kind of been our Achilles heel in certain ways. Now, I know recruiting has been in an all-time greatness of improvement. In that area alone, we've got a new offensive line coach, if I'm not mistaken. With that being said, for the Gamecocks, if you look at it, what do you like and what do you see, feel, going into that offensive line? Do you feel like these guys are the right guys? They may have to shoulder-to-shoulder to shoulder and build that wall – They can protect not only the quarterback, but put some walls and some openings up for that running back to come out of the backfield. Yeah, Ricky, to be transparent, I'm nervous
5: about the offensive line. I absolutely am. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and tell you something different. I'm nervous about the O-line. I I do like you mentioned, you know, Lonnie Teasley slides in as a full-time offensive line coach. And of course, Greg Atkins, I think it was week three or four last year, he was dealing with those health issues. Thankfully he's fine, right? He's actually still on staff, but you could tell the difference, I thought, when Lonnie Seasley took over the offensive line because they were really bad at the beginning of last season. and I thought they got better and better and better as the season went on, as did the rest of the Gamecocks football team. So Lonnie Seasley is your full-time offensive line coach, but you lose Eric Douglas, your center from last year. You lose Jovan Gwynn. You lose Dylan Wanham. And then you lose Jalen Nichols, Ricky, in the spring game, who I think was your best offensive lineman. You know, you went to the transfer portal, added Nick Gargiulo from Yale, Jackson Hughes from Charlotte, Nee Manziel from Mercer, uh, Sidney Fugar from Western Illinois. So you're going to be relying on a lot of new faces, and this is the way, Richie, that I look at it. You returned 50 less starts this year on an offensive line that finished outside of the top 100 last year in rushing offense and gave up 31 sacks. I'm not telling you that, Richie, to tell you they cannot be better this year because you never know. It might be addition by subtraction and maybe getting some new blood in there could lead to some new results, at least that's what you're hoping for. And I know, again, they like some pieces they've got up front for sure with the returns, um, you know, a couple of key guys from last year, like I mentioned, the transfer portal guys as well. But, um, you know, it, who knows? I mean, it's, it's just as big a question mark, I think, as the running back position, and uh, that, that's the key unit. And I feel like, Richie, people that listen to my show, they probably get kind of tired of hearing about, the line of scrimmage over and over and over again. But, I mean, Richie, you know as well as I do, man, it's a line of scrimmage league. If you can't run the ball, if you can't stop the run, if you can't protect your quarterback, if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, you don't have a chance. Like, you're not going to be a very good football team. The fact that South Carolina won eight games last year, finishing outside of the top 100 in rushing offense and rushing defense is astonishing. If you really think about how important that is to the game of football. So, you know, it's – there's some familiar faces back, no doubt. I think about a guy like a Vershawn Lee, a Tyshawn Wanamaker. Uh, you know, guys who have played, you know, maybe haven't played at a high level, but they have played. A guy like Marquis e. Anderson may have to play early. A guy like Trovon Bow and you don't necessarily want to play, play a bunch of True freshman on the offensive line, but I think a guy like Marquis e. Anderson, who came in early in the spring, you know, if he's one of your best five, you're going to go with him. So that's what they're doing right now in fall camp. Uh, Richie is just trying to find that best five, trying to find depth. You know, that, that's their big concern. I think. I think the starting five might be okay; they might be able to hold it together. But that, I'll say this, and knock on wood as I'm doing now, is a place they cannot afford any sort of injuries because depth is a real concern up front. But it's a major question mark, Richie, going into the, going into the season, no doubt. And I think a lot of the Gamecock success this year is going to hinge upon it. I agree with you. And it's
3: been my question for many years. It seems like all the way back to maybe Zach Bailey was the guy on the offensive line. Back then, I think we were probably pretty solid. There was a, a couple of other big names back in those days as well that you, know, you sit here and you kind of think about. But for me, I think the relief is on the way. A year from now, 2024 class comes in. That's a pretty big offensive line recruiting class that you'll see uh, that should be able to sustain some injuries if need be. And and, and let's be honest, like you mentioned, injuries are part of the game. That's what's going to happen. Now, to the other side of the ball, the secondary. You know, the Gamecocks in the past have always had some secondary guys. Now, losing Rush and some other guys back there, is that a concern? Where in in the, I guess, mindset in the defense? And where's our concerns if you're a Gamecock fan heading Mm -hmm. in to this season that we need to be alert on and watching where the growth can happen or needs to happen the quickest
5: and fastest on that side of the ball. Yeah, Richie, as a whole, I feel confident about the secondary. Now, that's not to say there's not question marks. I mean, anytime you're replacing your top two corners in Cam Smith and Debrius Rush, and, you know, these weren't your – these weren't average corners, right? These are NFL guys selected in the NFL draft. So, anytime you're replacing a pair of guys like that, I mean, it's something to watch for. And I I think especially, Richie, when you look at the, the front half of the schedule, and you face teams like Drake May in North Carolina, Carson Beck in Georgia with their crop of receivers, they have arguably the best crop of receivers they've had in over 20 years. I mean, you look at Mississippi State and Will Rogers. You look at Joe Milton in Tennessee. You're facing a bunch of teams early on that like to throw the football, and they're going to throw the football. And so you slot in now, Marcellus Dial at one corner, O'Donnell Fortune at another. I think both players are really capable, especially Marcellus Dial, who had three interceptions a season ago. But – it is a question mark, right, about those guys gelling, and are they ready to step into the top roles and take the next step and be those shutdown dudes similar to what Cam Smith and Darius Rush were. You know, in the back end, Richie, I think you're set. DQ Smith, Nick and that's two of the best safeties you're going to find in the SEC. Both guys were freshmen all SEC a season ago. And, you know, this is <clears throat> the other side of the ball, Richie, is just like the offensive side where it's going to come down to slowing down the run. Notice I didn't say stop the run. Just slow down the run. South Carolina, Richie, has finished five consecutive seasons, 11th or worse in rush defense. That's got to be corrected. That's got to be fixed. And that's why you brought Travian Roberts in as you, Robertson in as your defensive line coach. You bring back Boogie Huntley and Tomke Hemingway in the middle. Of course, Strawn and Jocke gear on the edge. You pick up gear from the transfer portal. And I think the linebacker position, you know, Richie, I'll tell you this, I, I think for the first time in a while, South Carolina – is solid at linebacker. I'm not saying they're great there. I'm not saying they're one of the best in the SEC, but it's not an eyesore. It's not an efficiency like years past, where it kind of felt like, Richie, you had like one guy, and the rest of the room was very average, if not below average. I think the return of Mo Caba from injury is huge. Also, Jordan Strong, who I mentioned up front, he's coming back from injury as well. It's big time, but... Mo Caba leading the middle of that defense at middle linebacker is huge. Stone Blanton, you know, he was thrown in the fire last year and went through sort of the growing pains of a true freshman. But that's a guy who was a big-time four-star prospect out of the state of Mississippi. I think he's a guy coming into this year ready to take the next step and play solid football for you. Debo Williams, the veteran player who's played good, good ball for you. And I tell you this, Richie, the guy I'm most excited about, Grayson Puff Howard. I mean, this kid has freshman All-SEC written all over him. And I think he will. That is one of my predictions year. I think he will be a freshman All-SEC player when it's all said and done. And also, you pick up Jerron Willis from the transfer portal from Ole Miss. So, um, you know, I think South Carolina is in the best position they've been in in quite some time to at least be solid at the linebacker position. And while depth is a concern, again, we could talk about depth over and over and over again, and that's something that's going to be a concern while Shane Beamer builds his program through recruiting. Um, I, you know, I, I do think that hopefully, fingers crossed, it should lead to South Carolina being a little bit better against the run. And, Richie, to be honest, I don't know that you can be worse when last year you gave up 198 yards per game. I mean, I, I don't know that you can do much worse than that, if we're being totally honest. So, um, but the secondary, as you asked about the top of the question, Richie, I, you know, I feel confident about I think there's question marks early on, no doubt. That's another area you can't afford to have injuries. But the schedule is really what makes that question mark more of a pressing matter because of those high-octane offenses you're facing in the first four or five weeks of the season, what have you. I think overall, the secondary will be a strength for South Carolina yet again. Torian Gray has earned the benefit of the doubt. But early on, we're going to learn a lot about Marcellus Dial, O'Donnell, Fortune, if they're really ready to step into those roles.
3: The hire at Tavares Robinson was probably one of the biggest hires that they've had in, in quite a while. It seems not only did he play at South Carolina, he's a players coach. He's a guy that understands this generation that's coming up out of the high school ranks or coming out of the transfer portal. Uh, it, it seems like there's just a lot of energy after this hire. Now we've hired some guys in the last you know couple of years with some energy, but not like this guy. What is it about? To that that you feel like he's been able to bring some different energy that I think honestly not only can help the defense, but I think it's gonna melt throughout the entire locker room.
5: Well, Richie, you gotta love when you have a guy that was coached by the late great Brad Lowing. I mean, if you if you don't know about Coach Lowing, go back and look at the history books and the defensive lines that he coached at South Carolina and all the other places he coached to as well, by the way. You know, he coached under Nick Saban at Michigan State. I was at Florida State under Jimbo Fisher? <clears throat>
0: Excuse
5: me, and you know, you look at his time at South Carolina, two separate stints, by the way. Coached throughout the 90s and, of course, jumped on Steve Spurrier's staff in, I believe, 2006 and was there until 2012. Uh, you know, coached the great Jadavion Clowney. Coached the best defensive lines in school history. So, you know, Travian Robertson was under him, and he took a lot from him. And, and I'll tell you this, Richie, with all due respect, to, and I, I want to say this, let's, let's make sure we keep the, you know, our thoughts and prayers. Jimmy Lindsay obviously, he uh, was rushed to the ER I believe. I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but, uh, you know, I I know he and his family are going through it right now. So I want to speak very carefully when I'm talking on, you know, the the transition from Jimmy Lindsay to Travian Robertson, obviously just speaking football, but being mindful of of his status. But I do think South Carolina upgraded at the defensive line coach. position. And, again, it's no knock on Jimmy Lindsay at all. But, you know, I just think when you bring in a guy, when when you're able to not only bring in a really high-quality coach, Richie, a guy who I think is a rising star Even if he didn't go to South Carolina, I would have said this. He was a rising star in the assistant coaching ranks when you looked at, you know, he was at Georgia State under Sean Elliott. Then he went to Tulane, and we all saw what Tulane did last year, right? I think a 10-win football team. Uh, You know, this is a guy. Then you bring him to South Carolina, and it's a perfect marriage between, you know, elite ball coach and a former Gamecock. When you can check off both of those, you know you hit a home run with the hire. So I'm really excited, you know, to see what he brings through the Gamecock's defensive line and like you mentioned, that defense as a whole, you know, I think one of the things we heard about Jimmy Lindsay in, you know, previous years was that it was a, and this comes straight from Brad Lowing, by the way, but it was, it was a little bit too slow. It was a little bit too methodical in practice. And, you know, you only get limited reps, right? And I think that's something Travian Robertson is going to bring back to the defense, bring back to the D-line, is this, this tenacity in practice, right? Because you, you play how you practice. I mean, I'm sure, Rich, you know this, right? I mean, that's where it starts. Make practice hell so the game is easy. And I think that's what Brad Lowing mm-hmm. did. I think that's why they were successful. I expect Travian Robertson to carry that over as well.
3: Hanging out, Chris Phillips with the Spurs Up Show here on Southern Sports Central. A beautiful Saturday, midday, high noon, as he and I are able to kick off some Gamecock conversation. And we're 28 days away from kickoff. Now, the Gamecocks are not a favorable conversation in this game coming up as they will kick off not only the game and the opening weekend and college game day, but I get that North Carolina's got a guy coming back that could have went into the NFL draft and been picked up pretty early or at least midway through the draft. But what is it that's got North Carolina's favorable? By it? It feels like everybody,
5: but some of the Gamecock faithful. Yeah, Ricky, that's a great question. You know, I, I've been really surprised at the line. You know, to watch it, and that's something I really do like. And I will tell you this: the side note, you know, we will be, you know, talking, distributing, what have you, gambling content will be as big of a part of our content as it's ever been, right? And I'm talking all the SEC games, talking Gamecock game, getting in the numbers, what have you. So I I always like to keep an eye on it because I think it gives you a good idea of, you know, kind of the the analysis, the thought on the game, what the numbers say, and kind of give you an idea of what may happen. Now, as we've seen, Shane Beamer, he doesn't give a damn about being an underdog. Seven of his 15 wins in two seasons at South Carolina, he was the underdog in the ballgame. Almost half of the games he's won, South Carolina was supposed to lose. So that kind of gives you some perspective of how good Shane Beamer has been as Gamecocks head coach. But yeah, Richie again. You you look at this number – you know, I was surprised when UNC opened up as a favorite, period. I mean, that really stunned me after the way that South Carolina finished and UNC finished their season. You know, at the Gamecocks, of course, with those wins over Tennessee and Clemson, UNC, they lose four in a row. And then you come into this one and they're a point favorite. Then it goes to a point and a half, and it goes to two. Now what's North Carolina favored by three, Richie? Which mm. the money coming in on the Tar Heels is what surprised me. But I, I think this is what it comes back to. I think when betters look at this game, they see two very similar teams. Both teams have new OCs. Both teams have big-time quarterbacks. Both teams struggle to run the football and have question marks at the line of scrimmage in their rushing offense. Both teams, you know, are, I don't want to say suspect on defense because I don't think the Gamecocks, I don't think that's fair to call them suspect. North Carolina was abysmal last year. But South Carolina is replacing some guys, and I think the Sharps, the betters, look at that rush defense, right? And then I think when it comes down to that, you know, these two teams are very, very similar, Richie. They really are if you look at it that way. I think they go back, though, when all else fails, look at the quarterback position. And I think Drake May is just looked at more favorably than Spencer Rattler. Now, whether you agree, you disagree, what have you, I'm just telling you from the Vegas perspective, from the gambling perspective, because, you know, I have thrown a bet my way a time or two, you know what I mean? Like, I've been out there. I understand kind of the mind, what these guys are thinking, Again, when all else fails, you look at the quarterback and you say, okay, I trust this guy more than this guy. And so I think it's a lot of Drake May love. I mean, this is a dude that won ACC player of the year last year. He's projected to be a top-five quarterback, you know, top-five pick maybe in the the 2024 NFL draft, whatever it is. Uh, But I think that's why you're seeing the UNC love. And I know it kind of feels weird from the Gamecock side of things. But, you know, Richie, back to the point I was making at the beginning. This is a position South Carolina's fine in. You know, the, the last time the Gamecocks took on UNC, it was the Dukes-Mayo Bowl in 2021, and I believe they were a nine-and-a-half or a ten-point underdog in that one, and they smacked UNC around with the Kevion Joiner at quarterback, right? We all recall that. So, um, you know, the Vegas lines, the numbers, you know, they're really fun to pay attention to. They don't define the game, right? Games aren't won and lost in Vegas, but it can give us a good idea. The over-under 62-and-a-half in that game, Richie, is really intriguing, right? Because I've heard everybody say it's going to be an offensive shootout. It's going to be 42-40. to 40. Again, let's keep in mind, questions on the line of scrimmage for both sides, question in the running game. You've got two
0: fairly inconsistent
5: quarterbacks, right? Maybe Rattler more so than May, but at times both can be inconsistent. I think South Carolina – Defensively, will have a good game plan game plan against him. UNC loses a couple of their top wide receivers. South Carolina is replacing a lot as well. Brand new OCs on both sides, so. I could see this one getting off to a slower start than people are expecting and it being more of like a 31-27 a to 27 game and not really hitting the over on that total because everybody I've talked to is a shoe in the over hits, And typically that's how you, you know, Richie, to go the other way. But it really has been fascinating to follow the uh, the line of the off season, And I wonder how much movement there is as we continue over the next couple of weeks to get closer to kickoff.
3: And it's fitting, though. If you're a Gamecocks fan, and and, and like you and I, man, forever and ever, amen, (laughs) we're used to being underdogs. We're used to not getting the the respect. It's what old boy used to say. I get no respect, no respect, no respect. And that's South Carolina. You earn it by winning it, right? And you win it every game, game by game. And I would actually, as much as I like Spencer Rattler, I don't think – I don't know if I put him on the same field. I do the last two games of the year, or last – I don't know if I've been the last game, but the last two games of the regular season. If that's the Spencer Rattler, the Gamecock yeah. fans see for 11 games, 12 games, whatever it is, then South Carolina could be playing in a final four here coming up in, in the postseason.
5: If not, Ricky, a guy let me, who won't let me, stay uh, in the pocket and take a hit. Yeah, let me but, interject really quickly. Not to cut you off, Richie, I apologize. But just speaking no, of the good. quarterbacks, you know, no, we're no, go good. down this thing. And we, we may start doing this going into this season when we go position by position, look at the matchup and check off and, you know, who has the advantage of what positions. I would probably give the edge to North Carolina. I trust mm-hmm. Drake May a little bit more than I trust Ben Sir Rattler. Because to your point, Richie, here's the thing. Let's look back. And I'm not trying to poke holes in the greatness, the great finish of last year. But let's look back at it. The Tennessee game was magnificent. I mean, Spencer Rattler was the best quarterback in college football, maybe in the world on that night, six touchdowns over 400 yards passing. If you actually go back, though, and look at the Clemson game and the Notre Dame games, because everybody punches up that three-game sample size and say, ten touchdowns, three picks, look how good he was. Take away the Tennessee game. I know that's not how it works, Richie, but take it away. The Clemson game and Notre Dame, Spencer Rattler was the same guy. They were, now, he was the same guy with more vertical passing. They were able to stretch the field and go to juice wells and utilize their playmakers. But, I mean, he had a pick six against Clemson. He had a pick in the end zone. You know, he threw a bad interception against Notre Dame. So, four touchdowns and three picks in his final two ball games. I'm not saying he wasn't better, but really it's a one-game sample size. Like, and so we got to see more of it. I mean, he may very well. Does right. he have more talent than Drake may? I think you could argue that. But going into the season opener, and they're both great quarterbacks, by the way. I'm not trying to crap on Rattler ahead of the season and say he's not good. I think he's going to have a very solid season. I really do. But right now, I'd probably give the nod to North Carolina saying that they have the advantage at the quarterback position. Now, Spencer Rattler could absolutely prove me wrong, and I think he's facing a much weaker defense than Drake May is going to face. And so Rattler could very well outduel him. But I think Spencer Rattler at this point, Richie, I think he is who he is, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think you can win with that, but he's a gunslinger, man. He's going to put it in harm's way, and sometimes it's going to work. A lot of the times it's going to work, but sometimes it's going to cost you, and you just got to hope that you you win more than you lose of those battles. You got to hope that you – you know, more of those go for positive plays than negative plays of the Gamecocks. So, I mean, to your point, man, I don't think it's a hot take at all. I don't think you're, you know, you're a hater of South Carolina or a hater of Spencer Rattler. I mean, dude, let's give some respect to Drake May. Again, 2022 ACC Player of the Year. I mean, I know they finished the year slow, and he didn't finish the year on a high note either, but this is a legitimate big-time NFL dude. Like, this is a dude. He's not some middle-of-the-road, you know, middle-of-the-pack quarterback. Drake May is a dude, and so I think Spencer Rattler, man, that's another great storyline, and there's so many of them in week one. Spencer Rattler can win a lot of people over and I think can prove a lot of people wrong. You know, his naysayers, if you will, maybe I'm lumped in that category now, but he can really start to change the conversation about how he's viewed, not in Gamecock circles. I'm talking nationally because that's why UNC, that's why they're favored because people look at those two quarterbacks and say, give me Drake May." over spencer rattler because of the inconsistencies i've seen rattler throw games away i've seen him turn the football over i've seen much less of that from drake may spencer rattler can change that narrative in week one and i say this all the time your
3: performance will control or will dictate your narrative right and only you can do that now that being said and i look at again i'm a rattler guy too right i i I love sports radio. I love Southern Sports Central. I love listening to what you do and a lot of other guys do. But when the Gamecocks are on football, TV, that's that's or any sport, I, I'm, I'm a Gamecock at the end of the day. But that being said, I watch Spencer rather. I see he is a Brett Favre style quarterback. I am a Brett Favre guy. I'm a Packer guy. So I can say that. Being said, he slings the living crap out of the ball. And if it lands in the hands, the right guy, then we win, and we got a touchdown for six, and we move on. My only concern with him coming in from a conference that was known for slinging it and bringing it and putting more points than the next guy, because that's what they do in the Big 12. They do big points, and you just got to outscore the guy. You ain't going to have a lot of defense. What well, he had to trust his offensive line, which goes back to our conversation earlier, is that we didn't trust our offensive line. So if I don't trust him, you know he doesn't trust them because he's the guy behind him. So he doesn't stay in the pocket long enough for our guys to get in position, to hit where they need to hit so we're throwing it either behind them or ahead of them and he kind of felt like he got into there and just took a lot of hits at the end of the year that he wasn't willing to take at the beginning of the year which is a difference between winning games like Tennessee and winning games in Clemson and losing games at Florida
5: all right I mean Florida was like yeah I mean we took a big to your point Richie I, i I definitely want to hammer the point that, you know, it, it takes more than one guy. You know, Spencer Rattler, sure. he, he ain't South Carolina's biggest problem, not even close to it. He needs help from the other ten guys on that roster. I mean, that's just it. I mean, listen, Rattler's a guy, with everything I just said, I'll say this at the same time, he's, a, he's the type of player that when he's on, he can go win a ballgame for you. He can put the team on his back, and despite the circumstances, despite whatever it might be, He can go out there and give you a special performance like he did against Tennessee, because say what you want about the play calling. And listen, I wasn't a Marcus Satterfield guy. It's very well documented. I wanted him going. But South Carolina beat Tennessee because Spencer Rattler was on. I mean, that that bottom line. I mean, that's it. Like those throws he was making, those were throws we had not seen to that point in the season. It's Jimmy's and Joe's. Not X's and O's, Richie, as you know. So need more of that from Rattler for sure. And, again, he is a guy that, you know, you always have a chance. I said it last year in the offseason going into last season that he gives you that Steve Spurrier effect. And what I mean by that, Richie, is that, you know, Coach Spurrier, you know, especially early in his tenure, even when the Gamecocks were outmanned, right, you know, he had just just started kind of recruiting and they didn't have the talent of the Georgias or the Floridas or the Tennessees. Even when they were outmanned talent-wise, though, you always felt like, South Carolina had a chance because we've got Steve Spurrier on our sideline and with him out there who knows Spencer rattlers kind of the same way like you're going to go into Athens week three you're going to go into Knoxville week five and you know what you're going to be double-digit underdogs but when you have a guy like Spencer Rattler you're going to wake up that morning and say you know what we probably won't win we're not supposed to win but if seven's feeling it watch out we've got
3: a chance And he gave us that chance at the end of the year. If you're a Gamecock fan, the Gamecock got that chance at the end of the year when he beat Tennessee. He beat Clemson. He ruined a lot of dreams and made a lot of tears flow uh, in both of those fan bases, I can promise you. And I like the kid. I want him to be greatness because I know he had a second chance. He came to Columbia, and I can tell you Beamer gave him that second chance, and he's very grateful, which is why he came back. Ladies and gentlemen, let's not forget, he could have entered the draft and not came back. He saw something (laughs) worthy enough coming back on top of he thought he could build up his his worth and his network and everything else while he was here as well uh that being said for the last 20 i want to get into something that i know you really really enjoyed the last 48 hours and that is what of course that is the realignment (laughs) holy macaroni and cheese my friend as the realignment turns in college football so does the conversation on both of our shows man and again i like to see what the big 10's done and call it the big earthquake of Uh, of august here as they started it and the tremors happened last night with the big 12 let's talk about the big 10 first and then you can cover the big 12 and then we'll talk what does the sec do and how safe is the acc in your opinion uh, when it comes down to it chris
5: Riffy, i think the sec is, is in the best position of all you know greg sankey is i think the best commissioner in college sports for what it's worth and they will not be intimidated. They will not be swayed by any moves that are being made. Again, I think they're in a great position of sitting back, watching, and observing. They don't have to make any moves, Richie. They've got Oklahoma. They've got Texas. And I think if there's a team out there that makes sense, you know, Greg Sankey has said that we're not focused on it, we're not worried about it. You know behind closed doors they're keeping a watchful eye on things, and if the right team came a-calling, they would at least entertain the idea. So, but yeah, Richie, conference realignment, man, it is—it's the hot thing to talk about. It's the hot topic, and you know, I was just looking at the map that you guys posted on social media. I know the Big Ten threw that up as well, but uh, you know, seeing some of these schools, man—Washington, Oregon, UCLA, Southern Cal—you know, it's—it's it's weird. It, it's weird, and I say this, Richie, the fact that I guess one of the things that, you know, sort of irks me. I understand why, because I I get the business side. But as a former college athlete, I was a college athlete, Richie, at Newberry College, believe it or not, a time ago, and and played college baseball. And so there's other sports besides football on campus, right? Like, there's other sports that are impacted by this. And so think about the fact that Southern Cal might have to go play Maryland in a three-game series. Think about that travel. Like, think about how much more that puts on the student-athletes. But the bottom line is this, the bottom line. The bottom line is the bottom line, Richie. And so, you know, I, I know from the, you know, the more changes like this to happen, I, I find myself coming back to, I'm, I'm more of a, you know, rivalries over realignment. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a traditionalist, but I, I, you know, it's a shame to lose out on some of the rivalries we lose out on. I mean, we'll see what happens with future scheduling and what have you, but you know, I just think we're headed to that big three conference model, which is going to be the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the SEC. And obviously the Big Ten is trying to make a move to, to not just get on the same level as the SEC, but they want to beat the SEC. I mean, there's no question. The Pac-12, what a mess. I mean, be, be gone. Goodbye. RIP. You're your You're history. I mean, that's, that's it. The, the Pac-12 is absolutely done. I don't know who they could go out there and try to salvage. Maybe a Boise State. I, I don't think there's enough good quality programs and quality teams for them to add anyone and say we're a legitimate factor in this thing. So I think the Pac-12 is as good as done. Um, But, again, coming back to it, I know a lot of people are upset about this. They don't like the changes in college football. And, and listen, I get it, man, because it's all about money, right? Every move that's being made is about money. But I put myself in the shoes of those higher-ups, those people in charge, and what they're being told is don't make decisions that aren't good for our bottom line. Make decisions that are. And so they don't care about history. They don't care about tradition. They don't care that you have to travel across the country to go see your favorite team play if you want to go to a road game. They care about the bottom line. And so you think about this, like, I mean, that's that's who's Richie really going to be affected by this, right? Like, we're all still going to sit down on a Saturday and watch college football. We may not like it as much as we once did. It may lose some of that for us old, you know, I, I call myself an old head fan, whatever. But for us old head fans, sure. it may not look the same, right? It's, it's going it's to taste a little bit different, but we're still going to eat the food. We're still going to indulge. It's still one of our favorite things to do. Who this is really going to change college football for? If you're a fan that you go to every single home game, you tailgate every home game, maybe you travel to a road game or two every single year, and I'm not talking about SEC teams, obviously, because the SEC staying intact, but you know, for these teams at these other schools that are moving around, it's just not going to look and feel the same that it once did, and, and you may not like that quite as much, but here's the thing. What portion of that is – what portion of the revenue – And how much of the revenue is those TV deals and and, and the money they're getting from the conferences? And I'm sure it vastly outweighs it. And, you know, again, that's why they're making these moves, man. It's all about the almighty dollar, and they got to do what's best for their bottom line.
3: Bottom line is we're hanging out with Chris Phillips with the Spurs Up show here on a beautiful Saturday midday in the state of South Carolina. Right here, we're on the coast. He's up there around the capital city. And of course we're covering the Gamecocks, the SEC, and now we're in the realignment talk. Chris, look in your inbox. I just sent you a picture of, of an outline of what I would like to see. And it's 2016 mm-hmm. deep, but it does a couple of things. And I know it's a wish list. Brother, you know, one thing that I got a chance to do as a small kid, if you remember the JCPenney magazine uh, that they had, you had a toy section. You circled it, gave it to Santa Claus, and you gave it to him. Well, that's my list of Santa Claus. saying, look, I want to keep robberies <laughs> and traditions intact. I want to keep, if I'm an SEC guy, and I am, I want to keep the Big Ten out of the states that we currently dominate in, which is South Carolina, Georgia, which is Florida, which is Alabama, which is now Texas, and we can take over Oklahoma if you look at that module right there. That also brings us in Louisville. That brings us Clemson, Georgia Tech, Miami, Florida State. All three schools in North Carolina that I think are worth bringing in, that's Duke, North Carolina, and NC State, because that's three rivalries in two different sports, one's basketball and one's football, give me Virginia, give me Virginia, Virginia Tech, and that kind of concludes it right there. Now, you go, where is Missouri? Well, we lose a dog in the fight. We give Missouri back to Big 12 <laughs> as a cancellation prize. We're taking Oklahoma State. I'm a Gamecock, man. Look, I get it. They're better than our Gamecocks because they beat our Gamecocks, so I'm not really 100% mad about that. We want to be rivalry about Columbia, but to me, Chris, mm. That's what makes college football great, man. And, again, if I wanted to watch the NFL on Saturdays, I would record them on Sundays, and I'm concerned that that's the direction Mm -hmm. we're going, is that college football is the new NFL. High school football is the new college football, because you're getting ready to see Mm -hmm. NIL hit high school ranks as well. But, man, that's a wish list. It's a hell of a one. I know you're seeing it now. But what's your thoughts on some of that, man? Do you think that South Carolina, do you think Florida, Georgia, is going to bend a little bit and say, look, Whatever we got to do to make our conference continue to be the best conference, take Clemson, take Georgia Tech, take those two schools in Florida, plus that SEC guarantees that you don't have a weekend, week out game. Because imagine if Florida State is in the Big Ten, that means every other weekend, if not multiple weekends, the Big Ten is playing football in the state of Florida, which is huge for recruiting, which does hurt the SEC as a whole and market.
5: Yeah, I'm just looking at your map, Richie. and I, I honestly love it, man. This is incredible. Uh, you know, it's funny, losing a Missouri. Or losing Missouri uh, they're viewed as the redheaded stepchild of the SEC anyway, so who really cares? Um, <laughs> but no, man, I mean, listen, <laughs> I, I love this. This is, this is incredible. Um, you know, I mean, and, and here's the thing. There's going to be pushback from the rivals. I mean, I highly doubt Texas A&M was all that thrilled when they saw Texas coming into the SEC. I don't think Florida would be thrilled with FSU jumping in or Miami. I don't think South Carolina would be thrilled with with Clemson jumping in, but I think it's going to be something that kind of goes over their heads, right? Like, I mean, if it makes sense, Greg Sankey and company, they're going to make it happen, um, and the vote is going to outweigh them. Georgia, Georgia Tech, same thing. But, uh, I mean, this, this, listen, this map, this is certainly the direction we're heading. Um, you know, if I were going to start small and just say, okay, there's 16 teams starting next year, let's say we're going to get to 20. I think those top four you're looking at adding would be schools like Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina – and Virginia Tech. I think those would be the top four brands you're looking at. Of course, you mentioned Virginia as well. The other two, uh, North Carolina schools and Duke and I think those all make a lot of sense. I, I really do. So, and, and I think it's realistic. You know, ten years ago, I would have told you you were crazy and this will never happen. But sure. you know, now with conference realignment, I, I just think it's. Uh, and we and we here's the thing too. We know Florida State and Clemson won't out. We know that. And if it weren't for a grant of rights that would cost them basically half a billion dollars or something to get out of there, they would be gone. They, like, there's no doubt. And they might even take it to court and try to find a way out of this thing or at least get a, a smaller settlement, if you will. So, I mean, I love it, man. I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I just I think the one thing that everybody hates for losing is, like, localized or regionalized college football, right? Like, I, I will say this. I think to not have a West Coast conference – I don't think that's healthy for the sport. You know, I don't think that's a, that's a net positive for college football. At least it certainly doesn't feel that way. Um, but looking at your map, obviously keeping everything kind of in the the southeast, the south, if you will, um, I love it. So you know, we'll see. Again, it's it's one of those things where ten years ago I'd have said you're crazy, but with the way everything's changing now, I, I think it very much could be a reality. <laughs>
3: Hanging out, wrapping it up with Chris Phillips for the Spurs Up Show. Chris, I love having you in here, man, because, yes, we do cover the Gamecocks. It's important. It's our state. It's uh, one of our flagship teams here along with Clemson and a handful of other great schools around our state, which I'm going to start dialing those guys up as well, by the way. Uh, but it is important that we cover some other the rest of the country because college football is the greatest game on earth. I used to say on, on, on a football field it's differently now because you see AstroTurf kind of spreading out around. But – when you look at the Big 12, Chris, of what happened, do you feel like the Big 12 is going to be able to be salvaged? I mean, I'm looking at, uh, you know, Twitter allows people to be, quite frankly, entertaining more than anything. And one guy actually put out that, uh, Dear Texas and Oklahoma, we won, signed the uh, Hateful Eight. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, it took you what, eight teams? <laughs> eight teams that aren't even going to come close to the amount of money you lost by losing Oklahoma and Texas? I mean, did they uh-huh. do enough to salvage being a mega conference still, even with the likes of UCF and Arizona, Arizona State. BYU is not part of the conversation. They added West Virginia a while back. That's a road trip. They did add Colorado, and you get Dion and his, his coin that comes with him. But do you like the new Big 12? I mean, it definitely has a different look and a different sound to it. But picking up those two or three schools last night, that's not too far away from the geographics at least. At least they're keeping within the geographic um, part of the, the map, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, look, I'm actually looking at the tweet that you mentioned, and uh, Kyle Umlang saying the Big Twelve's brand value, right? Adding all those schools, uh you know, they're losing after the losses of Oklahoma and Texas, even after the additions, 869.3 million dollars after adding those schools. So, to your <laughs> point, yeah, Texas and OU, obviously, they're taking their bags with them, and they don't really mind at all. But yeah, I'm just looking at this graphic, man, and. You know, the biggest thing that jumps out, I think it's a solid conference. You know, I, I, we all recognize all those teams. There's some quality football in their quality programs. I don't think you have that one team that sort of jumps out at you when you say, like, you know, they're an elite, they're a power. Like, let me ask you this, Ritchie It's like, who from that group is going to be a real college football playoff contender? I, I know that TCU was in, that, in the national championship game. I remember 65 to freaking seven. That's what I recall. But, uh, you know, Utah is another really good one. I think West Virginia is a fun team, Oklahoma State. Of course, you have Dion. both the Arizona schools, uh, UCF and Cincinnati, I thought really good adds. But I don't know that you really have that one, <clears throat> excuse me, elite team, if you will, but I think it's a solid conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like to me a very fun conference. I, I will say that. I'll give them credit. Um, and I think the Big 12, at minimum at least, man, They took action, right? When Texas OU left, they said, "You know what? We got to re up, we got to revamp, we got to rethink this thing." And, you know, I think they did about as well as you could possibly ask for adding those teams. But uh, again, I I just think the only thing I notice is there there really isn't that one team that kind of, you know, stands out from the rest. But you know, we'll see. I mean, someone could emerge, and I should be eating my words in a couple of months or or next year, I should say, when this thing actually kicks in or whatever. So. you know, I mean, I, I think the conference looks really fun, in my honest opinion. But, uh, you know, the Big 12 just – I mean, listen, they've done more than the Pac-12. That's for damn sure. So, at least they're going to survive. Pac-12 can't stay the same.
3: Right now, staying the same is not going to happen. Even though we get right now that there are 16 teams in the SEC, there's 16 teams in the Big 12, and the Big 12 still – they're still – I feel like they still bring enough – maybe – I would say they bring more energy than the ACC – even now, even with the addition by subtraction that they have. Uh But to keep up with the Big Ten, I'm getting ready to tweet this out by Cal Uming as well, who he mentions there's two teams that both conferences have to add to get up to 18 that match up to the 18 at the Big Ten. So, Chris, you get the call. You get to bring in two teams on the Big 12, two teams in the SEC. Who are your four teams that you
5: add to on each side? So two from the Big 12 and two from the ACC that I'm adding to the SEC. Is that the uh, – well, no, so yeah, so, right. right.
3: So two teams need to be added to make 18 at the Big 12, and two teams need to be added to the SEC mm. to do 18. And then you've got those three. Now you've got the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC with 18 teams. Because as of right now, the Big 10 is sitting on 18, while the SEC mm. and the Big 12 are sitting at a 16 number right now in the Charter.
5: Yeah, I mean, if I were to add two teams to the Big 12 right now, I'd say Missouri and Nebraska make the most sense. The fact they're not in there. And I know that I'm taking away from the Big 10, so they'd have to add somebody else. But, like, just for the sake of the conversation, those to me make right. the most sense. And they've been in the Big 12 before. And, and like, they should be in that conference. Again, I, I look at regions. Like, you you look at regionalized football. The fact Nebraska's in the Big 10 That has been weird for me since the jump. Like, that to me just feels wrong. It does. It feels wrong. Like, I I just – I don't know. They've made it work for sure, but I've never been a real big fan of it. In regards to the SEC, man, again, I'd go back. I'd probably say – I think Florida State and Clemson. I mean, I think those are the top two, man. I I think you take the two big dogs from the ACC. And I know as a Gamecock fan, maybe it sounds blasphemous for me to say that and that, you know, uh, we shouldn't want them in. And and I get the recruiting advantages, stuff like that, but – I mean, heck, man, you've got to play them every year anyways. And Clemson is an SEC team in the ACC, just like Florida State. Exactly. I mean, they are. Those are the two that just don't belong, doesn't make sense. That's why they're so pissed off, Richie, is because of the, the <laughs> revenue distribution and the way that the pie is being cut up. And they're like, you know, we're, we're the top dogs. Why is Syracuse, Boston College, et cetera, sharing what we're sharing as well, you know, the same revenue? So, um, you know, I, I think that's the big reason they're upset. I think those that make sense, though.
3: No doubt, man. I always appreciate it. Chris, I'm going to do this with you as many
5: Saturdays as you have until we're going to go, by the way,
3: we're going to head to another time slot because I'm not going to try to even go against the, the college game day conversation, man. And I don't know if I'm getting up early on a Saturday to do a show that early before that, but I am looking to go in six to eight Monday through Thursday. So I want to throw you in that fold. And another guy that uh, has been a part of our show a big family member as well, who uh, has just taken time away as Clemson time. he could find his way back in the seat. So, To have us three together on the microphone could be, uh, man, it it damn sure could be instant classic from the start to the finish. So um, I want to work some times out with you in early morning time, and we'll get into that off the air. But just real quick, give yourself an opportunity to let the listeners know who aren't following you, how to follow you, and those who do follow you, what's coming up next in your world over there on the Spurs Up show.
5: Yeah, Ricky, I appreciate it, man. Definitely hit me up I at mean, any time. I love talking ball. love talking ball with you and uh, really excited, obviously, to talk throughout the college ball season. You just let me know and I'll be there. But uh, you can find us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, at the Spurs Up Show, wherever you get your content, YouTube as well. We air a daily live show called The Daily Crow on YouTube under our, our – the Spurs Up Show YouTube page, which airs noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. We take questions, comments, calls, so we'd love you guys to jump in there. We also have a store located over at thespursupshow.com or tsus.store. You can find stuff such as our Beamerball collection, Clem Sucks, Yardcocks Baseball, you name it. We have it, the best game, merch on the Internet. Um, you know, and then, of course, the podcast drops daily, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Pop- the Google podcast as well, and you can find that under the Spurs Up show, of course. So, But just check us out anywhere under the Spurs Up show, and again, we're grinding with content, man, getting after it. Live show's rolling, content's rolling, podcast is rolling, and just getting ready for the season and breaking this thing down. Right now, we're in the middle of our position unit preview series. We just wrapped up tight ends yesterday. We'll get into the offensive line on Tuesday's show. We'll talk about that Tuesday, Wednesday. Then we'll get into the defensive end, or excuse me, the defensive line as a whole uh, Thursday and Friday. So, again, we're breaking down this Gamecocks football team. We'll wrap that up the week before kickoff. And, of course, the week of UNC, man, it'll be off and running. And we'll be talking Carolina and South or South Carolina, North Carolina, and breaking that game down. And uh, really excited for it, Richie. And, again, I appreciate the opportunity.
3: Hey, man, always excited. Glad to add you to our family of fun. And, of course, looking forward to it. TJ Hopkins, by the way, Gamecock fans, got called up this morning. His mom actually uh, reached out and said, hey, he's back in the big league. So, uh there you go, TJ, back with Love the that. Reds. Uh, got the call this morning. So, yeah, this kid is going to do big things, and he'll be up there for a long time once he gets uh, his opportunity to kind of stay and, and do his thing. But, uh, Chris, again, brother, thank you again so much for the opportunity to get you a part of what we do, man. I'm looking forward to working with you during the season. And until next time, buddy, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you soon.
5: Richie, I appreciate the opportunity, man. Thank you so much.
3: You got a buddy. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up Show. Always does a five-star job. And, again, uh, for the Gamecock fans that are listening, T.J. Hopkins did get pulled up this morning uh, in the minor leagues, to the big leagues, to the Reds. His dad and mom reached out to me this morning and said, hey, you know, he's back in it. And he is uh, looking forward to, of course, once again, having another opportunity to make some memories. Uh, his, his little brother, not so little. Uh, also uh, was drafted uh, this past season in the draft as he played at the College of Charleston, played at Erskine, and then was drafted in by the Mariners. And uh, I I can tell you, Brody Hopkins, another young man you want to keep your eye on here, located in the Palm Motor State. Now, I'll say this. It's going to be a great week. It's going to be a great day. You're going to make the most of it until next Saturday. Stay safe. Stay uh, hydrated. Until then, we'll see you then. Again, that will be our live show coming up next Saturday morning. Our one of our final Saturday morning shows kicking off next Saturday at 10 a.m. One want to thank Lawton Swan from uh, Clemson Sports joined us at 11 o'clock. Of course, we had in Kevin Noon from the BuckeyeGrove.com Guys, joined us at 10 o'clock. And then just wrapping it up with us just now, Chris Phillips joined us to wrap up today's show. Guys, on behalf of all of us, to all of you, follow us on Facebook at Southern Sports Central and on Twitter at SOSports. Central. Guys, again, thank you for listening. We look forward to hearing from you soon, and until then, God bless and take care, guys.
2: Here it is, the cool slightly trans. Form. Just a bit of a break from the norm Just a little something to break the monotony Of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control It's cool to dance, but what about it?